Welcome back, everybody, to the Retro Blood. As we finish up our long two-month Halloween extravaganza reviews, talking all the Friday the 13th movies out of the 1980s. Up next, if you like street gangs in New York, if you like cocaine, yes, it's back, brother. We didn't just keep it on number five. It's back here. But we're going to one-up you because we have heroin on here too, brother. If you like Jason being resurrected again with the blue light from underneath the lake. If you like kids on a boat, brother. Then this is the review for you. Because the Retro Blood is talking all about Friday the 13th Part 8. Jason takes Manhattan, brother. Jay Allison, James Klein. What is happening, Allison? How do you feel about... Finishing up these Friday the 13th. Um, at this point, I'm kind of glad to be finished with them. Um, you know, I, oh, really? uh, this is this movie, this movie's something else. Um, I didn't hate this movie. I liked it. I liked it better than six, I think, but, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so, so far we're doing good. I mean, we've done all the Friday the 13th. So we've done all these classic movies. So people can, uh, listen to us go on and on about them so but, uh, yeah everything's going good so far great halloween great halloween season for us yes it has been a fun fun one so far i got a lot of shit going on in the lives of the retro blood in our lives too but i actually really like this movie <laughs> and like i think i liked it for reasons that you probably didn't like it like we'll see this i think you're gonna be surprised okay so this movie to me brought back the grunginess of the original Friday the 13th that we talked about. You know, it was very grimy and gritty and shit. You know what I mean? Like, they did they did do things like, where we're just going to place Jason in certain areas to get a pop from people. But the way that they portrayed, like, New York and everything, I was like, damn, this is fucking hardcore. And there's some hardcore shit in this movie. I was like, damn, okay. You know, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I don't know, like, it was just very, like, the movie was kind of like punk rock to me. I kind of liked it. Like, I liked the... This fucking let's just have like the, half this stuff we did in this movie we cannot do nowadays. Okay, this is crazy. Well, yeah, that's true. You're right. Yeah. A lot of stuff we can't. We yeah, people would just be lose their fucking minds if we if they made a movie like this now. Yeah, but, but we talk about that a lot. There's a lot of stuff in the '80s they just couldn't do now. Yeah, you know whether it's violence or things that people say. There's just people are just too conservative. Yeah, now. even the way but, they um, kill people too. Like they couldn't yeah. do that. Some some parts of that they couldn't even do nowadays, which is crazy because nowadays the kill scenes are like way more intense. Nah. 
That's that's a difference of opinion that we have. Like I feel like in we some cases about, they are. Have you seen that new fucking some, VHS? You ever watch those series, the VHS? Yeah, that's an indie movie. That's that's different. That's, that new one, bro. I just got to bring it up. I know it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but that fucking new it one. does, though. The 85. Yeah. That fucking. It's awesome. Did you watch that shit? <laughs> I haven't seen all of it yet. Fuck. That shit was wild, bro. I highly recommend yeah. everybody watching that. I was like watching that because I never watched the full VHS all the way through. But like, you know, this one, like we talk about the 80s all the time. So I was like, well, fuck, man, yeah. I'm going to watch this shit. And I was watching it and the fucking scene where the fucking, you know, I don't want to spoil it too much for everybody, but basically the yeah, scene. The scene of the uh, uh, the the chop killer or the curse the killer that you know the the person was seeing all the visions in the tape, like mm-hmm. that guy that th- those scenes were freaking me out. I was like, damn, this is some hardcore shit. So everybody check it out. VHS, it's on Shutter, uh, eighty five. I was like, this shit's yeah. fucking wild. Yeah, definitely watch the first one. Um, also, I mean, VHS eighty five is great. And you should watch it. Yeah, but the first VHS, which is also on Shutter. And probably AMC Plus because I think they're kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um. You should. Yeah. Definitely. They got those four are, of those. those things, are some huh? of the, something like that. Yeah. There's several, and they're already yeah. they're already talking about they're already talking about making another one. This is um, wild. So there's there's VHS VHS two VHS viral which I've never seen. Um. There's one called there. Uh, there's a spinoff movie also on Shutter called Siren that's really good. Uh. Then there's VHS ninety four VHS ninety nine, uh, and eighty five. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing the first one and a little bit of 99, and then I watched the whole 85, but it's pretty wild, but, you know, but like you're saying, like, you know, yeah, I mean, there, there probably is some kills that we couldn't see, you know, nowadays and some that we can, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, yeah, this one, this one's pretty wild, though. This, this Jason, I can see why, like, people hate it, and I can see why people like me would love it, but, you know. Yeah. What I don't hate it. Like I, yeah. I, I like the, I like a lot. I like it basically until it gets to Manhattan, and then I didn't like it anymore. Um, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, because we have a, there's a lot to talk about in this episode. Like we are yeah. going out with this Friday Thirteen series with the bang because we, like, we don't have too much on the history side. I kind of want to keep that at a low this this week because there's yeah. just so much to talk about when it comes to the uh, the the who booked this shit, the movie review, and Everybody, I have a special at the end of this podcast that I'll probably um, tell everybody what it is during the Who Booked This Shit. Um, it's a, a special recording that I have that I'll share with you all. And I think you're all going to enjoy it. And it's all going to tie in all the um, the movies that we did so far. And a couple that we're not going to be doing because they're not in the uh, in the 80s, but you know. We'll get those out there, whether it be like YouTube shorts or something like that. We'll we'll figure it out. But, you know, we do have that uh, Freddy versus Jason for the lights out coming. So we got a little bit of stuff outside the 80s. Still talking about our one of our favorite hockey mask slayer guys. So, but, um, and we'll also talk about what the uh, uh, Retro Blood uh, Halloween episode is going to be, which I am super excited about. But... Allison and everybody out there, just like we do every Retro Blood, let's talk about what was going on in the world of the pro wrestling, the metal. The reason we do this is because we like the party here on the Retro Blood. And we don't just talk about our movie. We don't just go to the movie with our pizza and our Pepsi. No, brother. We go <laughs> there with the fucking Budweiser, some cocaine. You know what I mean? If we're in New York, apparently we could just heroin. 
We get, we get it all, brother. That's how we like to party here on the... Actually, I don't know if I can party like... Those New Yorker guys, man, they were... Uh, that's, a, that's a rough place, okay? Especially with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, bro. Like, who... Like, just imagine, like, you're just watching that shit. You're from New York. You're like, yeah, that's about right. And I was like, fuck, man. I guess nuts has changed place. that much. So this movie came out on July 28th, 1989. Okay? So we're... We're doing like you know a lot of these uh, Friday movies. They they release them in like the the summertime, late summertime. Very rarely do we have them, you know, come out on Halloween, which is crazy because you know when you think about Jason and stuff. I mean, obviously you think about it if a month lands on a Friday the thirteenth, but you also you know you you also you know put them next to like you know Halloween like October month. But most of the movies came out in summer, so. But um, uh, yeah, but yeah. But I think the first thing we should probably talk about is the uh, the big wrestling event that was going on at the time. So this is a very interesting time, Allison, All right, and everybody out there. So I'll talk a little bit backstory, and we're not going to talk the full card because there is down the road. I thought me and you can like talk the full card maybe for a lights out because this is a really good card. It's a really good show. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's a really. It's I mean, it's it's good. Like I. I, there's like even a random war games in this match. It's crazy. So what we're going to be talking about is the Great American Bash from the uh, July 23rd, 1989. So it came out a little bit before we would be watching the Jason movie. So we'd be on the uh, we've had the uh, Great American Bash hangover. And before I go, mm-hmm. I just want to talk a little bit backstory. You know, uh, on the Retro Blood, I think is when we did the uh, uh, Jason Six, where we're talking about the Great American Bash tour like Jim Crockett used to do, okay? But like we were mm-hmm. saying is, and I actually got to correct this, I thought that they got rid of that concept in like the 90s, but apparently they got rid of the whole tour concept in 1988, okay? Yeah, yeah. I I, I was thinking that around that time is when they switched it to just one big show. Yeah. Instead of doing the tour. Yeah, doing the tour. Now, I still like the tour idea, because it kind of reminds, like, uh, another thing that kind of reminds me of the tour idea is kind of like the G1, you know what I mean? Where we, all these shows are called yeah. the G1, and there's this big, this big tournament going on. And, you know, I think, uh, like, an AEW can benefit. They kind of, they kind of done that before, where they would, like, name out their, like, you know, when they did, like, the Fighter Fest, they would do Fighter Fest Night 1 and Night 2, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. But, uh, but yeah, we're in the uh, One Night Only Great American Bash, and this one... Was so we don't. This is not Jim Crockett Promotions. All right, they've already sold to um, to Turner Broadcasting at this particular time. I think they they sold in nineteen eighty eight. Okay, and so yeah. like this is a very interesting period to me with the WCW because it's about to go to the shitter. Okay, <laughs> but we're not there yet uh, at this time. Yeah. I would say, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're that may there. be a that that yeah. may be a yeah. a a uh, an over exaggeration. Maybe maybe that's exaggerated a little bit. I mean, yeah, it gets, we haven't got it the ding dongs yet. Significantly worse. It get, okay, yes. okay, never mind. You're right. You know what I, I mean? Concede. Because I was <laughs> I okay. So yes. So right. when when you hear about this period of uh, yeah. WCW. You always hit up. You always hear about the guy Jim Hurd, okay? The pizza yes. delivery guy who ran WCW. 
Okay? Mm-hmm. And you always hear the story about how Jim Hurd and Ric Flair did not get along at all. You know, that's basically right. why Ric Flair went to the to the to, to the WWF. And he went yeah. around ninety two, I believe, like early ninety two. But that's like ninety two. Like Jim Hurd's here right now in nineteen eighty nine. So Ric Flair yeah. was given, you know, they were working together for a pretty good amount of time before Rick jumped over ship. No, actually, I think Ric Flair, uh, he went there in 91, I believe. Yeah, I was about to say, it's pretty early 90s. Yeah, I can't, yeah, like he's, he, uh, he was already there when the Royal Rumble happened and everything. I, I, I think, so if I, I got my, I think he came in August of 1991. That's when he uh, debuted yeah. for the F with the real world sh- title. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that everyone in this match, other than Sting, would leave the company within two years. Yeah, which is crazy. And, yeah. So, I mean, it just, like I said, like, we're still in a good spot right now, but in a couple, this is going to go to the shitter until, because they also get Bill Watts back in after Jim Hearn, and he did help out, but he still made it go into the shitter, okay, until we got, you know, Bischoff and him doing his thing, uh, raising it up and then going to the shitter again. So, it's a really uh, interesting period with the whole uh, Turner Broadcasting taking over WCW part. But, uh, yeah, yeah, by this time, it's crazy, man. Because, like, you know, like we were saying on, on a couple other, um, J- even these Friday the 13th podcast, like, how hot was Jim Crockett promotion f- from the first Friday the 13th to right now? You know, they're not even in business now, which is crazy, you know? Which is sad, yeah. yeah. Which is sad that they were they were not even in business too many, too many private planes, but um, too many. Uh, I was gonna ask you. I was gonna say one thing. Sorry, go too many spilt liquor by Ric Flair because he told me he makes more too than much, I do. Too much. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely true. Ric, Ric Flair spilt more liquor than you make in a year. That's true. Um, I'm pretty sure he did. That's a true statement, probably too. <laughs> yeah, I bet that's true. Yeah, he spent more on spilt liquor than you make in a year. Um, but quick uh, this is not be a quick question but you can make it quick if you want to yeah so all those people would leave and most of them would go to wwf why do you think that sting never left do you think it's because of hogan and then they were wcw was able to convince them that look we're going to push you as a star but if you go up there you're going to be under hogan forever i mean that is probably a part of it um i think i i think sting just liked the uh I, did, I think he's just a loyal guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he, even mm-hmm. even when they had, you know, Jim Hurd, or even when they had Bill Watts, or but they all, you know, pushed Sting a lot. You know what I mean? Like, they always had yeah. him in a good position. You know, like, I, I can't think of a time where Sting was like, you know, he might have not been like the top, tippy top of the car, but it's not like he was opening match or nothing. You know what I mean? True, yeah. Like, because yeah, he would do feuds after Flair, you know, but he would have a great feud with Cactus Jack. We could see yeah. right now we're transitioning to a feud with the Great Muda. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, he would be facing, you know, maybe not like tippy-top heels, but they would all be great matches. He would have that uh, Jake the Snake Roberts feud. You know what I mean? So, I think it's like a little bit of both. I think it was, yeah, you'll probably be second to Hulk Hogan, obviously, and we could probably make you like tippy top number one guy around here but you know like it's not like he was getting fed shit you know what i mean he had that great series of vader you know what i mean that's true so that's true yeah you're right i think the line of opponents he just had through his whole tenure with wcw 
And of course, you know, when it got to like the uh, 97, 98, maybe even when it was going down the shit, you know, he just wasn't, you know, he just, you know, the loyal guy, like, you know, he just liked it. Like they, it's not like, even in like 2000, when he was facing like Vampiro and shit, he was still on a certain level. You know what I mean? And, yes, absolutely. You know, maybe at that particular time, he didn't want to reinvent his career by going to the F, you know, which I can, I can get. And of course, you know. He would eventually go and like look how that shit turned out, you know. <laughs> right, and let's see what they did with him after uh, all that time. They yeah. couldn't think of they couldn't think of a match. We gotta have we gotta have Triple H given the pedigree, <clears throat> brother, right in the middle. Yep. Opening match. Well, wasn't it the opening match at WrestleMania? It wasn't the opening match. It was like somewhere in the middle. Okay. So, but you know, it's like a main event shit at the, at that particular time. But uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's the only thing I could think. It's just it's just brand loyalty and like I said, like he it's not like this they were giving him the shit. Even when there were shitty managers and shit going on at WCW, it's not like Sting's actual character was like shit. You know what I mean? Like he right. like this guy, like I like I was saying before, I'm surprised he's not as big as he as he was, because this guy was just like great every time he went out. Great wrestler, great energy, mm-hmm. great fire. It's just it's just crazy. So, um, but yeah, like the, the main, the main part we're going to talk about, uh, like I said, I want to do the show in long form because, you know, I was like saying this, this shit even had a fucking war games match on it, which is crazy. Um, and I had a lot of, uh, had my, one of my favorite teams, the skyscrapers, Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey, tall and jacked brother. They probably would have been great in this New York Jason movie. Oh, they would have been great, man. Yeah. They would have, uh, they would have been Jason's yeah, tag team partners. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe that they is, would. Maybe they would have been uh, Julius Julius's uh, boxing partners. Uh-huh. Well, he needed all the help he could get, apparently. Yeah. So, but like I said, so the the main, so also too, is um, so at this time, like I was saying, and you, I think you could agree with me. The WCW is pretty hot right now because we just came off the trilogy of Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. Yes. And that's one of the best trilogies in all of wrestling, is their three yeah. matches that they had. Mm-hmm. And this would be Ric Flair's next opponent. That's how we got to the Great American Bash, because after Ric Flair beat Ricky Steamboat at their last bout, uh, Terry Funk you know, challenged Ric Flair, and they got into a brawl. And at first, like, Ric Flair, he didn't want to, you know, he didn't, you know, he, Ric Flair was still kind of like a heel, you know, at the time. And he didn't want to take the challenge from Funk because he didn't feel like Funk was like worthy at getting a world title shot. And that's when Funk attacked mm-hmm. him and stuff. And Ric Flair eventually um, agreed to, uh, to do this match. And Terry Funk, like he was also kind of worried too, uh, Flair was because he's like, okay, maybe I jumped the gun about taking this match because, you know, Terry Funk is not a normal wrestler. He's more a little bit more unpredictable. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and from what I understand too, um, at the end of that trilogy with Steamboat, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, um, Steamboat made it sound like he didn't know that it was over. Yeah, like he made it sound like you know he was surprised when Flunk, Flunk, when Flair and Funk got into it at the end of that last trilogy match, that he was like, okay, well, I guess this is over now. Yeah, um, you know, so he thought that he seemed to think that that. You know, there's few to go on, and then he just they just pivoted immediately to him and Funk, 
which uh, this this is the first match, right, of Flair and Funk. This is this is immediately after the trilogy, right? Yeah, this is me now. Now, mm-hmm. I, now Flair. So there's a couple mm-hmm. like I think there's like three legendary matches with Ric Flair and Terry Funk. I believe this is like the middle one, if I believe so. I could be wrong because I know they did like an I Quit match, like sometime yeah. down the road. It's probably be like they're they're it's it's been uh, reviewed as their best one, but um. But this one's really good. Like I thought, this match was uh, pretty wild. Um, you know, we always talk about on here of like, you know, one of our favorite top wrestlers around the '80s was Terry Funk because the guy was so wild. You know what I mean? Yes. And his selling was so great. Like when he when Flair would chop him and knock him down, like it just, he would still try to be fighting while he was on the mat and stuff. So I just always love watching yeah. it. Yeah, that's awesome. And the way like like if he takes like a pile driver or something, yeah, <clears throat> like his like. Uh, leg shakes what, and what shit? you yeah. call it. Like the yeah, twitch. like his leg shakes. Like yeah. he has this involuntary, like, like he doesn't have control of his body. Yeah. Or like when he's trying to get back up and he'll just be like shaking his arm, like trying to grab hold of something. Yeah. Um, one thing I found amazing about this as well is that during this match in 1989, Terry Funk is already 44 years old. Yeah. Prime um, brother. He'd already retired once. Yep. Um, but he, you know, he had, um, he was 44 years old, which is what they're already, you know, like Jim Ross already, you know, said, mentions the middle-aged and crazy thing, but Terry Funk wrestled a match in 2021 as well. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy to think about. What's, I mean, it, it's, it's, it is. So what's also crazy. So, you know, 44 right now isn't too bad because a lot of people in the WWE are 40 or at least upper forties, Yes, you know? Even your top new stars like L.A. Knight, I think he's around 40-something. Yeah, he's like 40, yeah. So, you know, that is, you know, back then, you know, they wanted the more 30s um, caliber wrestler. But, you know, they still got some people up in the in the 40s. And nowadays, it's a little bit more like, okay, 40 is kind of like the new 30 um, to them. But it's crazy yeah. to think, you know, like Terry Funk right here is 44 in 1989. He's not even at his ECW or New Japan deathmatch yeah. run yet. Okay. No, he hasn't even got there yet. He hasn't even got there yet. He hasn't even got to the deathmatch. He hasn't yet. been blown up by barbed wire yet, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean, he, it's an, it's a, his career is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it just, it really is. I mean, yeah. you can't, no one could argue that. Like, Terry Funk's career was amazing. Yeah. Um, and he could still but, wrestle. Like, uh, no, he was wrestling a good little yeah. style match with Ric Flair. Like, they did some outside brawling and stuff when they both got busted open. But they were exchanging good wrestling holds as well, too. Oh, yeah. He's in better He's in better shape there than I am now. That's for damn sure. Um, but uh, he... One thing I thought was funny or interesting, too, about the match is when they do Ric Flair's promo at the beginning... They were talking about how Ric Flair was a six-time world champion and how amazing it was, and only two people in history had ever done it, yeah. other than him. Um, but now, like, you know, John yeah. Cena has is a fourteen-time world champion. So, like, well, and it just shows you back then they just well, right back then it, it just shows you how back then they just didn't really change titles very much. Yeah, people very, hold very, it for right. years. Yeah, well, yeah. they're kind of getting back to that nowadays. So. You know, with the Roman and Gunther's reign and stuff like that. You know, MJF MJF's has had the belt for a while. So, they're kind of getting back to that that style, which I can uh, appreciate. But, you know, this match was back and forth. It went about 30 minutes. Um, Ric Flair basically run with a roll-up, a reverse roll-up. And mm. the the part of this match I forgot was the ending. And how yes. wild it was. 
It was like it was like, like uh, it, it kind of yeah. caught caught me off guard. I don't know about you, but it, like so, what happened was so they uh, you know Ric Flair won about the with the roll up, okay, and then he's celebrating just for a little bit, and then out of nowhere the Great Muta shows up with Gary Hart, and this is this is my one my this is probably like my favorite era Great Muta with the red mm. you know pants and the fucking you know, green mist everywhere, super, like, he's kind of like, you know, he's not big, he's not small, it's kind of like the perfect, like, weight, and he's very agile, like, he does, like, a lot of good spinning kicks, and, you know, it's the kind of what he was known for, and he comes up right next to Ric Flair, just spits him in the eyes with the green mist, starts beating his ass, all right, then Terry Funk gets up, starts beating his ass, and then out of when Sting comes out, people are going wild, they're, like, brawling everywhere, and, like, I don't know if you noticed this, Allison, but like, I don't know if they were like, if they like ended the match too early or something, because the brawl ended right, and the heels were going to the back. All right, and then you had like Jim Ross and uh, uh, was it Bob Cottle? Bob Cottle, yeah. Yeah, they were like <laughs> talking over the thing. Oh, this is a crazy event and all this stuff. Hey, but by the way, we had this controversy with the TV title and stuff, and then they just cut back at them fighting again. And like, oh, they're brawling again. And they start brawling. And then they come back to the gym and they start they try to wrap up the show. And like, no, they're still brawling. Well, they may have. That could have been a mistake, but I was just thinking it was just a, the way they shot it to make it look more yeah, realistic. Chaotic, yeah. You know, they're like, oh, like, oh, we thought the show was over, but it's not. They're still fighting. But yeah, like, cause like um, yeah, because Muda Muda slides into the ring and attacks Flair. And then, um, and then Flair and Funk or Muda and Funk are kind of beating up Flair. And then all of a sudden, Sting comes out of nowhere to save Flair, which makes me think that like I don't really know the storyline other than the you know the stuff with Flair and Funk. I don't really know what was going on at this time, but I'm guessing that Flair is still a heel. Like he's not a face. It's like a heel on heel match. Kind of. Funk's definitely. A heel. Well, but, I think um, I think during this feud, Flair was like trans. It's kind of like that uh, Shades of Grey territory, but then. Right yeah. when Sting teamed up them, he's going full face. Okay. Well, well, yeah. So I would say by the end of this match, he he comes across as a or the end of this brawl, he comes across as a face. But I know, but Jim Ross made a comment and said, "Oh, it's like somebody came out to save the champion, like you know, because which made it sound to me like you know, like everybody hated Flair going into this, and nobody's going to come out to save him from getting beat up. Yeah. But then Sting did because Sting's such a good guy and he's such a such a big face that he's going to save even. Even the person that he hates, even the evil Ric Flair, he's going to save. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, this 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 looked like a face turn for Flair. Like he was, you know, going to be a face at the end of this. Uh, at at the end of this thing, there was a lot of blood in this match, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, it was good, and it was it was just a good match. I so, mean, you have two, uh, <laughs> two of the greatest of all time. It's true. So, uh, so this whole wild brawl would eventually lead to a tag match that they did at the, the, that year's Halloween Havoc. Which we have talked about that mm. Halloween Havoc before, yeah. when we were doing some of the uh, 1989's uh, movies out of the uh, uh, the yes. Retro Blood. But then I would like to do. Well, we might uh, do one of those for a battle one time because that'd probably be a fun. Uh, that actually is a really good Halloween Havoc. Um, yes, 1989. That's a great one. So, but uh, during this wild brawl, like there's two things that like uh, I liked. So, they, so when the one scene is, <laughs> they're like they brawled in like the stands right and they were like using those uh old like school chairs those old plastic school mm-hmm. chairs and they kept like throwing it on their heads and then there's one scene where they got done 
brawling, and you just see Ric Flair and Sting just walk casually up the aisle, and the camera's on him, and then out of nowhere, you just see, like, fucking Terry Funk, like, some sort of, like, like he basically, like, Jason, just comes out of nowhere and just smacks Ric Flair over the head with a little chair, and then they cut. <laughs> it's like so random it's so funny like he came out of nowhere bro he's like a fucking monster you're just boom out of nowhere like a it basically looked like jason when he comes out of nowhere and then yeah, um yeah, and then when awesome. they when they had the the jim ross and and bob when they're like trying to wrap up the show rick Flair comes over with them, them. it's like yeah i got something and he goes away grabs sting and he brings sting over to the camera he's all like I haven't said thank you in 10 years, but I'm going to tell Sting thank you for coming out here. I was like, you never said anybody thank you in 10 years? No, because he's the biggest deal in the world. He doesn't have to say thank you to anybody. So It was a great, it was a great uh, wild uh, ending segment, but I can't wait to talk about this show one time in long form. Because, like I said, they have a lot of cool shit that's like on the show. Like They have a War Games match. We have the Steiners on here. Varsity Club, Skyscrapers, you know, a lot of good shit, so. Mood and Sting. Yeah, Mood it's a great Sting, show. Yeah, good show, so. But, Allison, uh, speaking of not so great, what do we got for the uh, metal music? Oh, man. Um, it was a rough month yeah. for uh, for music, um, for metal. Um, the best album, actually, that I found that came out that month was not a metal album at all, but it was Paul's Boutique by the beastie boys okay but since we well, since we talk about metal yeah we're gonna be talking about master of disguise by lizzie borden so did you did you get to listen to any of this this is a new album for me i'd never heard this before yeah so i listened to maybe like the first like three tracks and i was like i don't know if i can do this anymore <laughs> yeah um it's kind of boring i mean it yeah. was bad it was i mean well okay hold on that's that's extreme it wasn't bad this is actually apparently their most popular album okay. or their most successful album. Um, I was, are you familiar with the Lizzie Borden band at all? Mm, I feel like we talked about them before, but I'm not exactly too familiar with them. Yeah. They're not a band. I listen to a lot. They were like, a, they were like a harder edge glam metal band from, in from LA in the eighties. Kind They were, they were kind of like wasp. Yeah. except not as extreme. Um, some of their early material is pretty good. This just to me just sounded like it was overproduced and it was just like too like the thing I've I've liked about Lizzie Bourne in the past is that they're just really raw and that they took all the rawness out of their sound for this. Like it was just super overproduced. It had an orchestra in it, but it was supposed to be like uh, apparently it was supposed to be like a uh, concept album that they wrote about uh drama and theatrics and things like that but like the theater um but i just didn't really care for this yeah i, just <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah. i just didn't really like it a lot yeah i mean you know but uh every month can't be a winner though right yeah, some, you can't some be months winner. there's yeah. not you know there's not a there's not a good album that came yeah. out but you know who would have popped it in there you know can you rent cds at this time no okay well I might we would have bought it. I, we would have bought it on CD or cassette, and then we'd be like, eh, let's just put this little air back in. I, yeah, exactly. I probably would have returned it, or I would have uh, resold it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, speaking of music, though, the guy, the the, the main title uh, song to this movie was pretty good. So maybe I'd be trying to locate that song, which we'll yeah, talk about true. here. that's true. We'll talk about it. But let's get into who booked this shit, because there's a lot to talk about. Lot of lot to talk about, brother. When it comes to a eighth part of a Friday the Thirteenth 
movie. How did this one get going? So, we have another new director. Surprise. Like every movie, there's like a new director for one, but you know, that's how that's how the budget is. So that's, we have yeah, that's how it goes. We have Rob Heaton. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he, let me see. He was, uh, uh, you know, I thought he did. Like I said, I thought he, with this one, he did a pretty good job. And it looks like he has done some movies before. Um, his first, this was actually his first feature film, though. Was this one Jason Takes Manhattan, and the 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 way he actually got booked to do this was basically this. So, after the disappointing box office gross of Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven: The New Blood, so audiences weren't liking the telekinesis Tina. All right, uh, the director John, you know the guy from from last week, uh, John mm-hmm. Bluchar, began developing a follow up which reprised the character of Tina Shepard, again facing off of Jason Voorhees after her release from an insane asylum, brother. So our boy John, he thought he was going to be directing this part eight, and he was writing himself a script, and his script was going to bring the old, let's get this girl in an insane asylum, and have Jason go to the insane asylum and kill a bunch of people. God, we've heard that one three times already. Yeah, we have, but I, I mean, you know, I think that would have been, uh, I don't, I don't think that would have been a bad idea, but yeah, it would have been a retread of stuff we've seen before the insane asylum stuff. Well, no, we it's haven't like, seen oh, it. It just, it just, I feel like it was every other director had that idea. So they had that idea for, for Tommy, you know, the first one they had, it was for, I was, gonna say it, was it's basically for the, the same story of Tommy. Well, kind of, so they had one for Tommy. Then they had one for the girl for part two. They both were going to yeah. have them both in a hospital or a silence on them, and Jason would go there and attack him. So, like, these direct, they keep retreading this shit, and Paramount's like, no, nah, brother, that, that don't work for me. Okay? Let's get something else. So, but let, check this one out, though. So, meanwhile, Laura Park Lincoln, who betrayed, who, the girl who portrayed Tina, she also yeah. wrote a script herself. Okay. Wow. With her that husband. Amazing. All right. It was an alternative <laughs> screenplay. Which had Tina working as a psychologist for troubled girls. Alright? And so that's that was her gimmick. Her gimmick was she was gonna come back, brother, and she was gonna be the heroine working with these troubled girls and teaching them her telepathic powers to fight Jason, I guess. I don't know. But that's not it, brother. We got another yep. person in. He's trying to put his gimmick over. He's trying. To, he's trying to get his script seen too, brother. It's our boy Kevin. All right. He also wrote a screenplay. Okay, in which he rec- he recast the events of New Blood into a long dream. Oh my God! Where where he was the killer. Okay, oh, his character was the killer. Okay. So yeah, of course, right? Write yourself, yeah. yeah. Book yourself to the top, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you gotta once you get the pencil, you gotta book yourself to be a world champion. Yeah, and yeah, he, I was. It's not Jason. It's me. I was the killer the yeah. whole time. Yeah, basically, because you know he he was uh, Nicholas. You know, the, like the uh, the the love interest of Tina. You know, the guy was like, oh, yeah. these guys are not yes. my friends. So he was there, and and basically he wanted to basically do part five in a way because it was supposed to be some long dream, and Tina was just dreaming it, and he was the killer the whole time. So I guess he would come back as Jason the killer and putting himself over. 
That's basically what it sounded like. Okay. So Paramount was like, nah, all your guys' uh, fucking script suck. So uh, we're going to go with this new guy. Or we're going to go with this guy, Rob Hennon. All right, making his debut. So we don't want we don't want any of your guys' lame ideas uh, over here at Paramount, brother. So just, you know, hit the, hit the bricks, brother. Hit the bricks. Okay. So uh, Hayden, he was actually a former. So before he got this, you know, role and everything, he did work for Universal Studios. Okay. And then he wrote a screenplay in which Jason Voorhees would travel outside of the Camp Crystal Lake. All right, the primary location for all, basically all the films up until now. And his quote was, the biggest thing we could do uh, with Jason is to get him out of that stupid lake where he's been hanging out this whole time, brother. How dare we have a psychotic killer kill in his lake place? We should have him go to fucking Manhattan, brother. Okay. Yeah, that's something we're going to have to talk about when we get there. But I was a little confused as to how long this movie takes place after the last one is it like right after no it's supposed to, yeah it's supposed to be a year after oh, a year okay after the the new blood came out all right so it's like 1993 now or something yeah. according to to this but, according uh, to our uh, history our, our time according to our history i think yeah but um or was it even later than that i can't remember i think i think it might even been later than that that we uh, kept jumping up 10 years yeah. but anyway um but yeah so they wanted to get him out of the lake and why not? Uh, I guess they were influenced by the Muppets take Manhattan, and they decided Jason should take Manhattan too. So we're gonna send Jason to Manhattan. Yeah, and what like so, so the guy, this heating guy, he had like two ideas. Okay, he had one idea was to do this whole Jason movie on a boat. All right, <laughs> like Die Hard, not yeah. Die Hard, uh, the the Steven Seagal movie, whatever it is. Yeah, which one? Which one? I don't know. Fighting penguins? Which one I is it? <laughs> I, I should never brought this up because now I can think of it. But there's anyway, there's one where he's killing terrorists on a boat. So it's kind of like this, but different. Yeah. Was it Das Boot? No. So that's that's, what, a, that's a German movie about a World War II boat. Okay. Well, that's what the, the our boy John was trying to trying to do. He was trying to do Das Boot with a little bit of aliens. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so you know like we sold that to yeah. somebody. Holy yeah! Shit. So there would be like a storm of the sea, all right, and we would have a crazy Voorhees out there just killing people while, like you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a storm happening. Which basically what we got. The sea, you know. <laughs> the, the sea part is the part of it that I have problems with, but we'll discuss it when we get there. So his other script was we're gonna do the whole movie. And Manhattan, brother. And I'm just going to have Jason go to a bunch of places. I'm going to have him go to the Brooklyn Bridge. He's going to bo- have a boxing match at Madison Square Garden. He's going to fall off labor, li- li- uh, Lady Liberty. He's going to wreak havoc all over New York, brother. And then Paramount's like, okay, oh. uh, how much is that going to cost? Yeah, we ain't, we, <laughs> yeah, we, we, ain't, we ain't doing that, okay? Yeah, to, be honest with to, you, to be honest with you, that fucking new blood, we even make shit, shit, shit money out of it. We just want to make this movie, and then we're going to sell off the rights to uh, this new company, uh, New Line. <laughs> but, yeah, I was thinking that. I was like, yeah, there's no way they're going to pay for that. They already spent too much money on this movie. I mean, the last yeah. movie didn't make enough money for them at $19 million, and they spent $2.5 million on it. Yeah. Um, and this movie, they spent over $5 million. Yeah, over 5 making yeah. This, this thing. 
and it, it made about the same amount of money. So which yeah. is why we didn't get another movie for like four years, probably. Yeah, and then like you know, obviously a big portion of the film budget was probably filming in New York because filming at New York at a time, you know, cost a lot of money. So yeah, because you have to shut down streets, and yeah. it's not just as simple as going to New York and filming, uh, and and filming. You have to like you know when they shot those scenes in Times Square, they had to shoot. They had to pay to shut down Times Square while they filmed. Yeah. So basically what happened was Paramount, they approved both concepts. Okay. So they wanted a little bit of the boat. They wanted a little bit of the New York. And we're going to mix them. And that's how we got what we saw from there. Um, obviously, we, you know, we got more of the boat because it's more cost effective. Yeah. But we at least, we, I did time it too. Like I actually timed how long Jason was in New York. And to my surprise, it was about 30 minutes of the film, you know? So, okay. So, I th- okay. I think, so you got to consider, mm. though, um, most of those New York scenes are not shot in New York. Most of them are in Vancouver. Yeah, and L.A., too, apparently, some of them. And L.A. Like, I'm pretty oh. sure the only scenes actually shot in New York are the scene at the very beginning where it shows Times Square, yeah. like, as it's coming on and it shows the hoodlums. And then the scene where Jason and then the two characters are standing in Times Square. I'm pretty sure those are the only scenes that were actually shot in New York. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, and yeah, this. What, 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 what do you think about the subway? I don't think so. I think the subway mm-hmm. was a set. Could have been. What about when he saw uh, his yeah, um, I, I, hockey mask on the billboard? <laughs> that was an interesting one. That's probably like that was probably just yeah. a set too. That could have been a say, yeah, or it could have, that could have actually been in New York, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I just I think that most of the almost all of the movie was was shot in Vancouver instead of uh, instead of uh, of New York City. Yeah. So um, even like yeah, go ahead. I, I was gonna say like you know there's uh there's some funny stuff when it comes to the marketing too of this movie because the original marketing campaign. Featured Jason Voorhees slashing through the I Love New York logo. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, okay, well, we're just going to plant that everywhere. And apparently they, they took it down because after they had that coming out around New York, the New York City Tourism Committee filed a complaint against Paramount and they made him take that shit down, brother. All right. So, yes. And there's a reason for that. Um, I did not know about this until you just mentioned it to me, but that this strikes me as something that would make sense because one thing you have to consider too, is this is like the late eighties and since the late seventies, which we will, um, yes, it's since at least the late seventies, which is something we'll visit in a future retro blood episode. We'll talk about it again, but New York had become known as an extremely dangerous place. Yeah. Um, and that that's where it gets its reputation today of being dangerous is from like the 70s and the 80s. Um, and a, a lot of New York was falling apart. They didn't repair anything like parts of the of, uh, you know, the Bronx especially would have like abandoned, just abandoned, burned out buildings that they nobody ever bought and they never tore down. And there was trash everywhere and there was crime and drugs and gangs. And it was just a huge problem. And New York was like, uh, you know, like New York was it, they it, for a while. New York even like kind of 
had a tourism industry based on how dangerous it was. Like you could you could go to New York and they were like, you could buy T-shirts that says "Welcome to York to New York now duck" and things like that. But New York was trying to make trying to clean itself up and it was trying to become like a a tourist attraction again because people were stopping to go there because of how dangerous it was. So I could see how they they would at this time in 1989. I think. Uh, like Giuliani became mayor and started cleaning up New York around the early nineties. So he got rid of all the grind houses and everything in, on 42nd street and times square. Um, but they, I could see how, you know, the people who are running New York would not want a movie to imply that there's a psychotic killer. That's going to kill you if you come to New York. Yeah. So I could see why they would be upset about that. Yeah. That makes sense. So, uh, a couple of things. So, you know, just like pretty much with almost every Friday movie, except for probably like the original one shit, they had like a different yeah. working title. Just, you know, they're confused people. So the re- re- working title for this one was Ashes to Ashes. All right. Okay. So, it, you know, you know, which which makes sense at a big franchise at this time to have like a little working title. Um, a couple of things, too. So the 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 soundtrack to this one was actually pretty good like i like the the main score okay mm-hmm. and uh it was by the uh, the band uh, metropolis okay and it was the uh, the dark side of the night it was the song that we heard at the beginning and the end that was a mm-hmm. pretty nice little little 80s song over there so uh, i can't really find this band anywhere like i don't think they really did that too many uh, albums and yeah. stuff so, but, yeah. but uh, uh, Rob wanted them to write a um, a song that was very rem- reminiscent of like a Robert Plant type type of song. So, and this is what they came up with. Okay, yeah, Fair but, you know, it's not the best song ever. But I thought it was pretty good. You know, for the for the mood that they were trying to portray. Um, and then you know, obviously, you know, there would be more you know Friday films coming after the uh, the eighties and stuff. Um, but this would be the actual last. I believe this is the last um, Friday movie from Paramount until Freddy vs. Jason? Or do I got that wrong? No, no, no. It was the... No, the, no, no. Not Freddy. I meant to say the uh, the remake. The re- okay. Until the remake. Yeah. yeah. Until the 2009 remake. Um, so, that, yeah. So, basically, Paramount for... They basically, after this, they sold the rights. And then New Line got them. And then that's when they, they did the, uh, the Friday the 13th. Jason goes to hell. Jason X, and then Freddy versus Jason. But really, that was just a Michael Bay production. Yeah, the remake, um, which actually is not bad. Yeah, it's not I mean, bad. It's I like it. Yeah. It's, it's not bad. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it's good over here, brother. So, um, a couple things. So, you know, before we get into the uh, the full review over here, um, yeah. I actually like I told you guys I actually had a very special for the end of the podcast. For everybody here, because we're going out here in style, brother. We're ending. We're ending. We're ending our our, our Fridays in New York, and we're, mm-hmm. we're ending the Fridays on this podcast. So mm-hmm. at the end, once me and John are done with the review, um, we'll probably won't play a music at the end, just because like no, fuck, I don't, don't. You don't want to hear any of that shit. Yeah, we don't want to put you through that. So what I have for everybody is a exclusive panel. That I recorded at a uh, a, uh, a horror movie convention for all of y'all. That has 
every actor who has played Jason Voorhees throughout the years. All oh, look at you. Yep. All in one group. All talking with each other. We that's right, we have the Jason. I don't believe I don't believe they have the Jason on this panel that was in the first movie, the kid one. But they have all the ones that actually played Jason as more like the adult. So we have the Jason for number right. two, number three, four, five. We have Kane on there. And we have the one that was in uh, Freddy versus Jason as well, too. So they're all on there. Talk about different stories. And this one was did did get recorded before the the stunt actor uh, Steve Dash. Okay. He was the one that played the sack Jason. So yeah. th- this this is recorded right when he got actually out of the hospital because he was in bad health at this time, and before he eventually passed away in uh, 2018. So we got some of his oh. thoughts and stuff. And this guy is wild, bro. Okay, this guy is this like New York. He would have loved this Jason. I'm surprised I didn't get him in this fucking movie. Jason takes New York because this guy's from New York City, and he just talks trash the whole time. Okay, he just says whatever on his fucking mind. He he's like, yeah, I'm the real Jason, not all you fucking marks, you know, and shit. Like he just goes off and shit. So he's not wrong. Sack Jason um, is the real Jason. Yeah, we we definitely like the Sack Jason over here. And this guy is wild, man. You guys you guys got to hear him. He's pretty crazy. So I'll put that at the end of the podcast, and then I'll put that on long form on the YouTube. If you guys just want to listen to the whole panel i'll put it on youtube as well too but i thought i have that uh in my archives so i thought i'd share it with everybody because i think you all nice. will really like it so you know we got kane on there we got cj on there they're all talking about different experiences that they had on the movies um so it's just a really fun like panel on there but this guy steve dash he uh, definitely uh, steals the show so <laughs> but i say let's get into the full review of let's do it friday the 13th part eight Mm-hmm. Jason takes Manhattan, brother. Ooh, let's do it. It'll never be the same. Never be the same ever. Sometimes you just can't keep a dead man down. This time, he's taking a little cruise to the Big Apple. He came down the river and he's got on board. But don't expect the love boat. This voyage is doomed. Don't pack a life preserver. Just come back and you're all gonna die. Jason's booking them on a one-way trip to hell. Mayday. Hello? Next stop on this chilling journey. New York, New York, and a whole new reign of terror. Give me the police. Start spreading the news. You don't understand. There is a maniac trying to kill us. Welcome to New York. Everyone's favorite maniac is painting the town red. Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Alright everybody, we have now arrived in New York City. We're here, brother. And boy, this shit looked grungy as shit. And at first I was thinking, okay, you know, we're in 1989. Are they like doing some like special effects with this camera to make this shit look like fucking 
Gringy? I'm like, I don't think they did. <laughs> you know? No, I, I think New York looked like this. That's just a shot of New yeah. York City, Times Square. Now, I did like a lot of the shots they were doing, especially that one where you could see, like, the right in Times Square, you could see the big Batman symbol. Yes, because it's 1989. Yeah. So, yeah, but, so Batman was the biggest movie at this time. Yeah. Like, it was the biggest movie in the world in the summer of 1989. Yeah, that was the first one, right, with the... Uh, with Tim Bur- the Tim, Tim Burton one, yeah. The Tim, yeah. Those, yeah. yeah. So that movie and this movie actually had really good, like, I mean, I, I, there's probably other ones out there, but like New York at this time, yes, it was very dangerous, and, but it was so like grungy and punk rock. It looked, it looked, it looked very like, you know, interesting. You know what I mean? This visually yeah. very interesting. So that also means they probably shot that at the very, uh, the very last. Yeah, probably. Yeah, definitely. Because this movie came out in July of 1989. And Batman came out in, on June 23rd, so it had been out a month before this. Yeah. So that was probably like a uh, a promo of, of Batman that's coming. They probably shot that in the spring. That was probably the very last thing they shot for the movie. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, they probably got like some of the promotional uh, yeah. material. There's, there's a lot of like interesting, like, especially when Jason actually gets there, you could see a bunch of like different like companies and stuff that are still uh, around now, nowadays. So basically, we get all the uh, the tropes of New York. We get the Lady Liberty, we get the subway scene, we get this mm-hmm. guy getting robbed and getting his wallet thrown into some sort of like toxic waste dump bucket with a rat on it. We see like these yes. uh, <laughs> these uh, ga- what are they gang members? I guess gang members and stuff. I guess or so. two gang members shooting up some heroin, brother, and doing coke and just right there doing coke and heroin. I was like, fuck, okay, we're starting off hot, aren't we? You know, these motherfuckers and part for so basically what happened was this guy this guy uh, uh what's his name john ahead uh, him he was like oh part five you guys had some cocaine with billy no hold my beer brother all right i'm gonna give you some cocaine and some heroin over here and then of course we had like this ominous like guy talking the whole time about new york and everything and we had that great 80s song playing at this time so i actually like this opening scene i thought it was pretty uh pretty cool but it is a you know the 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 big thing about this movie too it it is a little like misleading you know mm-hmm. it is yeah because you think like Jason is just gonna be in New York the whole time and that's not necessarily the case here brother so we cut we're kind of like near the Lady Liberty statue and we cut and we kind of now we're back in uh, Crystal Lake and there's like a random boat here okay. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just on it just so happened to be on the exact lake that Jason was uh so so this movie like we're saying it 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 takes place it takes place a year after the new blood. So Jason from the telepathic powers of Tina, she resurrected her dead dad who wasn't a zombie, was just a ghost, and that dead dad pulled Jason down to the river. So he's it's in Jason for a year has been stuck under the the boards that he got pulled down from and i guess he got s- stuck on the one power cord that apparently goes through the whole crystal lake to light the whole place right okay so this i have questions okay. um so up until this movie yes. we've been pretty consistent on what crystal lake is yeah right so it's a lake. It's like you know any other lake, like Lake James or Lake Lure or near us. That um, 
people there's camps around it that kids go to and then there's people who live on the lake because they have lake houses and it's kind of out in the woods in the middle of nowhere and that's how jason's able to live for 25 years or whatever um eating rats and shit out in the woods in a cabin yes um but now crystal lake appears to be this hugely like made up metropolis yes. where there's a big city on the edge of the lake and the lake is so big that you can put like a yacht in it yeah like it just What's doesn't that? Just, they expanded brother you know so what happened was they expanded during, the lake yeah so during the uh um the forest green era okay what they did was they put a little bit more money into the city because they changed the name i see and they I built yeah. a little bit bigger like the lake they expanded it that's what the uh, governor told me <laughs> Okay, that's why that happened. All right, but All then right, the problem was the problem is after the whole forest uh, green incident stuff happened, they had to change it back to Crystal Lake, so they lost their funding. So I see, I see. Yes, so that's that's how it. Yes, then so now we can we can barely fit uh, canoes in there before, but now we got a yacht, brother. Okay, right, right. So speaking of the yacht, so we have two teenagers on. I'm pretty sure this guy borrowed it from his dad. Okay, so this guy we meet Jim and Susan. Okay, mm-hmm. or Susie, my bad, Su- with the Z brother. Okay, and yeah, that's how you know she's yeah. Bad. And they're they're uh, kissing up on each other. He's pulling down the panties so we can see a little butt crack, and he's wanting some sex. And the big thing is we hear over the radio that we're having the the graduation class from College Lakeview. They mm-hmm. are taking a, a trip to New York City on the thirteenth of this month. Okay. And, of course, Jim and Susie, they are about to be, I guess they're going to go fuck, and then they're going to go dock where this other boat's going to take them to New York's going to go. And this is when we, um, this is when Jim, he's actually like, he's like, okay, hold on, hold on. Before we start fucking, let me let me pull the anchor. All right? Yes. So he goes out there, and he pulls the anchor, and then this is when we can see Jason is buried under those, uh, you know, wood, and then there's some sort of, like, random power cord. Just like, he's like, I guess he's stuck on the power cord, too. <laughs> One, one long power cord, brother. All right, just yeah. wait, just wait. What happens to them? So he goes back, and now he's telling. Now Jim's telling the Susie the story of Crystal Lake. Oh yes. Did you know that this fucking lake? You know they had the camp counselor over here, and the the mom went insane, killed the counselors. Then Jason came back, went insane, killed a bunch of people. <laughs> but don't worry about that. Was a long time ago. <laughs> story is ridiculous. Don't worry about that. Was don't worry about that. Was a long time ago, girl. There's Jason, he's not here, but we, you know, that girl that did the whole Jean Grey shit. Yeah, she, he, she took, she took care of him, even though he didn't mention yeah. her at all. Okay, <laughs> no, like she didn't even fucking exist, brother. Tina, who's who? Okay, Tommy and Tina, <laughs> who? Su- we don't know those people. Okay, <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't get a flashback here to show us like the flashback of everything that's happened in the first seven movies. I know, right? So we just had this guy talking about it, and in short form, okay. Because he's like, you know, he has a fuck, brother, so he's not going to give a whole recap. That takes time, too much time. He's ready to go. Okay. So, during this, we can see that the anchor... So, okay, so... So, the so the anchor rips the fucking cord, the big old line, the whole power line, to the whole Crystal Lake... Lake house place? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. And underwater, the, the it rips... And no shit, I couldn't believe this with my fucking eyes. We have the blue 80s lightning resurrect yep. Jason again, brother. So is, it, is he yeah, like a super Earth. Frankenstein at this time or what? 
electricity brings Jason back to life. Yeah. So what I was what what my notes say is uh in part six, Jason was Frankenstein. Yes. But by part eight, Jason is Godzilla. Okay, yes, because he could be yes. Because he's underneath the water. Yeah. And then he just then they awaken him and he comes out and destroys shit. Yeah. But so he's blue. now Godzilla. That's true. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. With the electricity underwater coming out there, yeah. he's ready to go, brother. So you know, I, I, I'm thinking at this time, like, like 80s blue electricity is like Jason's mm-hmm. like spinach. You know what I mean? That's how he gets his power from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's always blue. Yes. Yeah, so, boy, it's 80s, bro. You got to have the 80s blue lightning. That's like a, you know, we have to have that. That is that that, that is something we have visited a lot in this show. So, um, so, you know, during this too, now uh, Susie hears a noise. All right, and of course, Jim goes checks on it, and then we have like a little jump scare scene with. Uh, <laughs> you'll like this one, Allison. So the way Jason gets his, because remember in uh, New Blood, his mask like you know broke because of her powers. It just like shattered like and shit. Powers broken yeah, in half. It broke yeah. the mask. So randomly, our boy Jim just randomly has a Jason mask that's perfectly fine and fit. <laughs> you know, man, and identical to the one Jason had. And I know how I got it. Okay, so what he did was he used the version of 1989 eBay and he bought one off Tommy because you know, we already said Tommy collects all the Jason masks, so he just bought one off. Right. Him yeah. From yeah. from 1989 eBay, whatever that was. All right, so that's how he appears and he's, he he uh, scares uh, Susie with it, the, and they're just joking, and then she is mad, but then she's like, "Okay, well, let's just start fucking," because that's what we came here for. Mm-hmm. And now Jason is aboard, and here is my one, the probably the thing I, I I didn't like this movie for the most was the murder weapons that Jason used almost throughout this whole movie. Like to me, like this movie, you know, storyline wise, it's kind of fun. Scenery rise was kind of fun, but the death scenes were kind of like lazy. Like they, I I, I understood that they had the whole censors come down on them and everything. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But even when I was watching the uh, the the bloopers where they could see like the well, this is what they're supposed to look like, I don't know, man. Like this, the weapons that he used were just kind of lame. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. But the reason for that though is Jason doesn't carry; he doesn't take weapons with him. He just has to use whatever's around. Well, the fucking uh, so he, tell that he, to he the fucking always... Jason lives. He had a fucking Batman belt. Where is that? He's lost the Batman belt. He doesn't have that anymore. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, I get it. He he has to use what's around him. I get it. It's just like, okay, so the first one he uses, like, what is it? Like a, what is that thing? Like a <laughs> torpedo or some shit? Like, it's just some claw like thing. Isn't it, it like a, it's like a, yeah, it's like a yeah. harpoon. That's what I Yeah, harpoon. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Jimmy is giving her the dick, all right? And then yeah. Susie sees Jason and says, Jason, she, he gets, uh, Jim gets off of him. They're just like, he's just like frozen in fear. They did the whole shot where the uh, harpoon's right next to Susie's, Susie's face. She just gets up in there and leaves his ass while fucking Jim's just staring there. And then Jason comes and he just stabs him. Looked kind of lazy to me. Just stabs right in the fucking chest or something. Then, um, uh, backstory with this, they were going to have, like, because I, I was wondering about this myself. So you would think, like, if a mass killer from the grave is coming to kill you, you probably wouldn't stay on the boat and hide. You would get off there and, like, you know, because, you know, swim to yeah. shore. 
So the boat, the yeah. boat has left dock though, right? Yeah, yeah, but you can see yeah, that you can still her, see the yeah. houses. Like she could easily swim to these houses. It might take her a little, like maybe like ten minutes to get there if she's a good swimmer. But the problem is they they were gonna add that in the movie, but they didn't have a, a stunt double to do the swimming at the time. So like, okay, right. well just just go into the front of the boat. He'll never look there. And of course, Jason looks there, and he kills her very lazy with that same harpoon thing. Mm-hmm. And that is getting us started. So now we start meeting some of the main characters. So we have a new girl now. All right, Renee, or Re- what is it Rennie? Rennie. Yeah. Yeah. Who um, I recognize her. I th- wasn't she the girl off of uh, um, oh fuck, I had it on my notes. It was like this popular '90s sitcom show that she was off of. Uh, that she that she starred in. Uh, Home yeah, Improvement. She was on Home Improvement. Yes, that's yeah. what it was. I was like, fuck, man. 90s Greg would have loved it. Probably had a crush on this girl, that's for sure. So, we... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, she was on Home Improvement. Um, She played... um, uh, Yeah, it was like the... uh, She played his... Did she play his wife? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I thought she played Uh, the daughter. Anyway, I guess... maybe, Maybe she played the daughter. Um, let's see what it says here. Uh, characters. I should never have brought this up. <laughs> no, you're good. Hey man, this is what we gotta do on here. We gotta figure out what's going on. Let me see this fucking girl's character on here. Recurring. I don't even see her listed in the cast. Yeah, I don't know what she did on this fucking thing. Maybe she was um, like a background person or something. Apparently on there. I mean, according to this, she played Nancy Taylor. Okay, that was probably like the daughter, right? I don't remember there being a daughter. I don't know, man. I haven't seen that fucking show in ages. All right, but uh, so with the uh, Rennie, okay, she is... Back to Rennie. Yeah, right back to Rennie, brother. She is talking to... She's in a car right now, and she's talking to her English teacher. All right, Hmm. Colleen Van Dusen. All right. These names are amazing. <laughs> so, so you know, I watched the bloopers of this. Did you, did you see any of the bloopers or no? No, I watched a little bit of the documentary based uh, that was on it, but yeah. I didn't. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch any of the any of the outtakes. Of okay. So you know, obviously they did a lot of outtakes. Most of them looked like they were just cutting it for time. Because some of the stuff that they cut out actually left off some plot points. Because we just see in this scene right now where basically um, Colleen is just giving Renee, one of her favorite students, a Stephen King pen. All right? But in the bloopers, mm-hmm. she kind of explains like, yeah, you know, you're my favorite student and the school's shutting down and I'm thinking about leaving teaching. But before I do, here, let me give you this Stephen King pen. I was like, well, you know, that's... can we leave the character development in a little bit? Okay. <laughs> So, the big thing is, we can see that there is a little tension of uh, uh, Rennie going on to the boat. Because we find out later that she actually has a fear of water. Yes. Okay. And now we're meeting, um, I guess he was like the biology teacher or something. But we're meeting the uh, the main chaperone, uh, Charles, uh, was it, uh, was it McCollin? McCulloch. 
McCulloch. Yeah, yes. Charles McCulloch. Charles McCulloch. He's like basically the chaperone uh, 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 person for, and he's also uh, Rennie's uh, uncle, like her her her, ter- her caretaker because her parents are dead at this time as well too. So this is when we get some, you know, we also see. <laughs> so we see this guy on the boat, right? And we can see the boat that Jimmy and Susan were on, like going quickly to the shore. We see some blood on it. But the only person that notices it is the deckhand, which I have dubbed him a name on this. So they, they don't give us his name, but I gave him a name. You know what his name was? Ralph. New Ralph, brother. He is new the Ralph, new yes. Ralph. We have the new Ralph on this fucking movie. And I was like, hell yeah, brother. Because <laughs> like, he's even like, uh, he's like, this voyage is doomed. Yep, doomed, yep. Got the new Ralph on here, brother. Um, so, so a little things I was saying. So, you know, this is Lakeview High School. They're all going on the boat, and the boat is the SS Lazarus. Okay, and this boat mm-hmm. is another main character we have, Sean. It's his dad's boat because his dad is a yeah. captain, a sea captain. All right, Captain of the Lazarus. Yes. So, and then the big thing is uh, Charles is getting onto the uh, colony. About the niece, you know, because she has that fear of water. And he thinks it's a very bad idea for her to come on board. But she's like, well, she wanted to come. And this is her decision. Okay. And they, you know, that's how they uh, decide to get it. Now we see uh, Sean. His name is Sean Roberts. His big storyline is his dad wants him to captain the boat. Okay. But he is a little nervous about it. Sean is. And at first he's going to take the reins, but then he forgot to do like three steps and he just leaves. So it's like, okay, fuck, fuck. Cause he, he wanted, they basically wanted his son to stay up there the whole time with him and captain yeah. the ship. And I'm like, he bro, know what he's doing. this is an eighties team. And there's a bunch of chicks on board. What do you think this guy's going to do? Okay. Come on now. Right. Well, but I mean, he was going to do it though, but then yeah. his dad like got mad at him because he fucked everything up. But I mean, he's not a captain. He's a kid. Yeah. You know, and I like this scene too, where the, the the dad, you know, before he leaves, he gives him like an old navigation box, which comes up yeah. later, and he's all like, "Yeah, you know, like that 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 part right there, you know, that's how we used to do it back in the day. Now computers are taking everything." And I was just looking at the the one that the computers <laughs> were taking over. I'm like, "Bro, I bet you nowadays that shit is like can't even work." <laughs> Get rid well, of no, that. like. <laughs> Like my my watch has more technology in it than that other thing that Magellan thing he was using. Yeah. But I was like, this captain guy was freaked out nowadays. Right? <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, what the? I fuck? guess that was like, uh, I guess that was big technology in 1989. Whatever yeah. that thing is, it looks like a calculator. It did look like a big he calculator. <laughs> he was like, yeah, the computers are taking over. I was like, bro, you have no idea. You have no idea. What do you think, Captain would have thought about AI? He probably been like, what? Yeah, the we fuck? have AI that that's making like. Uh, you know, that's writing movies and, you know, making movie yeah. posters and stuff. You don't even need artists or writers anymore. So, uh, uh, so now the kids are all like, you know, they start selling sale now. And then we get a bunch of sh- shots of the kids partying and dancing and stuff. And now that we see that Sean and Rennie, they kind of know each other and they're kind of flirting with each other. And this is when Sean gives her the present of the lady, lady Liberty necklace. All right. And, of course, uh, Charles, he's still concerned about uh, her being on the boat because of the whole uh, her freaking out with water shit. So then, now we have our boy Wayne. He's another character. He 
is like the film guy. He has those 1989 huge cameras where you had to put the whole VCR tape in there. Yep. And he's filming a girl, JJ, who is like our, our rock girl. She's like a rock girl. She's like a young uh, T- uh, Tiffany Strauss over here, brother. They're shredding. Okay. Tiff- wait, the guitar girl? Wait, what was her name? Did I, uh, wait, Tiffany, that's the wrestler. Who? What was the guitar girl? The, the big one. She's like an Alice Cooper and shit. Oh, uh, Nita Strauss. Nita Strauss, that's the one. Yeah, I was about to say, what? Like, Whatever, I don't watch bro. NXT a lot, but that doesn't seem like Tiffany it, Strauss. Strauss is Strauss, um, Strauss. You, you got what I was saying. <laughs> okay, brother. Yeah, and she has the she has the 80s rocker girl haircut. Yeah, with the leather jacket. And like, yeah, and it's all poofy, and, but it's cut yeah. with bangs. And I like front. how she's like playing the song. And like, I, I can't tell if she's like, you know, I guess she's doing the guitar parts of the song, but the guitar parts sound just in the same level as the song does. Yeah, I couldn't. So, I, so th- this scene and the next scene annoyed me, um, and I couldn't. I can't figure out like, so is she? She's plugged into like a battery powered guitar amp, I guess, and she's playing yeah. along with like, or is she like lip, like not lip syncing, but like miming along? Because clearly, this girl is not playing. Um, she is definitely miming in this movie, um, but. One thing that I, I couldn't figure out this scene, what was happening there. And then it annoyed me too, because this is something that the normal person, a person who was, re- you know, normal and like, uh, you know, thought about normal things would not, would not notice. But like when it plays that lead guitar part at the end that she's supposed to be playing, like there's no way there, there that is not that guitar. Like that part was definitely played on a Fender Stratocaster because you could just tell how quacky it sounds. Yeah, that's a very like Stratocaster sound that that guitar doesn't produce. So that annoyed me. Um, but yeah, this whole scene just annoyed me. But I, but it, I, I, I get it. It's a movie. It's not supposed to. Be well, you know, that part wasn't in the budget, brother. Uh-huh. I guess not. Oh, uh, you, you know what's funny though? I just looked what? this up really quick. So the girl who plays JJ, the our guitar girl, Saffron mm-hmm. Henderson, apparently she is the 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 voice of Kid Goku and Kid Gohan and Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z in America. Interesting. That's random. I was about to say I thought that name sounded familiar, yeah. Saffron Henderson. And yeah, apparently, so she plays. Uh, yeah. yeah, she plays the voice, and she also plays a couple characters in Gundam Wing too. I was like, okay, well there you go. Go from a '80s guitar girl who gets killed to a Gohan. That makes sense. Yeah, so she plays Gohan. So, uh, so, so her big thing is she wants to go downstairs because of the sound and shit. She wants uh, Wayne to fucking record her downstairs, but Wayne's too busy. He wants to record a hot blonde that's on board. Hey boy, wait till yes. we get to her. <laughs> so Wayne. now we see yeah, Wayne. Now, now we have Jason. He's on the boat now. All right, and then now Charles is telling Barry, "Well, there's a fucking storm coming," and he tells that to uh, to to Rennie. He's like, "Hey, you can you can leave, you know, now because there's a storm. There's gonna be more water on this fucking boat." And she's like, "No, I'm gonna stay." So, and then uh, of course, and then apparently, so the the water fear wasn't known by anybody. Um, Charles is the only one that knew about it, and of course, Colleen didn't know about it either. So they're just kind of finding out that she has that. And she, he's not. She's not sure why um, Rennie came, but maybe she's just trying to overcome her fear of the water. 
So now we have JJ. She is down there in this in like the boiler room. And I was like, okay, am I watching the right movie? Is this Jason or something? What's going on here? I mean, if this uh, Freddie, we're down in the boiler room. She's like playing her uh, lip sync guitar stuff, and uh, she it, hears the noise. Yeah. And of course, it's Jason. He's behind her, and he kills her with her own purple guitar, brother. Yeah, this this scene also annoyed me because it's supposed to be immediately after the scene we just saw, but her hair is completely different. Well, yeah, brother, there's some time between. You know what I mean? Get a little extra hairspray. You know, the hair could be a little damaged when you're out there in the boiler room of a ship. All right? I mean, let's be honest. She was she was playing for a camera that wasn't supposed to be there. All right? So now we have a bunch of scenes of Jason just wandering around on the boat. All right? Oh, by the way, our girl Rini, she brought her dog, Toby. Okay? He's on board too. He's like here and there. Toby. And then now, so yes, funny. yeah. I was just thinking, oh shit, is that where they got the guy named from Saul? But actually, he's called something else. Oh, that's a good point. But uh, so Rainy, uh, he she keeps hearing like this mommy, like this little kid saying mommy, which is obviously we could see, like I I could tell what it is right away. It's supposed to be the kid Jason. She sees she sees visions of the kid Jason throughout this whole movie. Okay. And she sees him, like, there's, like, that little window, and she can see, like, the kid, Jason, like, on the window in the water asking for mommy for help. And then the the, uh, the dog runs away. So now, we're, now we meet some more characters. Now we're meeting Julius. He is a, a fit boxer, and he's boxing this dude. And we have up watching them is our girl, uh, 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 Tamara. She's the blonde girl who likes to party. Mm-hmm. And we have her her friend, uh, uh, Eva, okay, is there too. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about, oh, yeah, look how fit he is. And then Tamara was like, yeah, if I was going to have anybody that I was going to have some sex with, I'd probably pick out Julius out of this boat. Because that's how we're booked for some sex, brother. <laughs> that's uh-huh. how we're booked. Okay. So our, our, our girl, uh, Tamara. So yeah. her character is that she is like this blonde girl who is like the prom queen and she takes mm-hmm. Eva, her classmate, into a little section of the boat and they're about to do some cocaine there, brother. All right. Let's get this party started, brother. Doing this cocaine. <laughs> and I like it when she's like doing the cocaine and Eva's like, I don't know if I should do it. It's like, this, this is just lightweight. I'm like, damn girl, how much fucking cocaine do you do? Wow. All right, damn. So Eva, she's a little nervous. Like, well, what about uh, you know, my, I'm about to be graduating here. What if they find that shit in my system? You know, I'm gonna lose my biology degree and shit. And, and Tamara's like, don't worry about it. I was the prom queen, so I got everything handled. Gotcha. Yeah, everything's taken care of. So Rennie sees them afterwards doing their coke, and she's looking for her dog. Um, and then she's like, oh, I didn't see anything. She leaves, and of course. Uh, Tamara calls her a space cadet. You know, those those, those 80s lines, you know, because yes. he's too goody two-shoes, yes. brother. Okay. The space, space cadet, yeah. So, uh, Rini, she's looking for the dog, and, of course, Jason, he's still wandering around the boat at this time. Um, and then, so now the uh, Tamara and, and, and Eve, they, they, they finished up doing their cocaine, and then right when they did, that's when Charles 
showed up. And he's wondering what they're doing over here. And he wants to see Tamara's biology report in his office pretty soon. And she's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about uh, Charles. I got him covered. So she has a plan, brother. Boy, what a plan it is. Um, <laughs> and then... Uh, uh, so now we have the, uh, the sauna scene. Or this guy's in the sun. I think it was the same guy who got beat by Julius. Or, yes. Or, or Julius beat. Alright. And then Jason comes there and he basically kills him with the sauna rock. <laughs> yes. This is so stupid. This scene was just dumb. It was pretty dumb. Like, I was like just thinking like, I mean... Okay. Like I said, like the this movie I liked a lot of it, but the kills were just so like, kind of lazy. Yeah, like oh. it, it's not like he just like hit him in the head and killed him with the rock or something. He like pushed the rock through his body. His body, yeah. It's like, okay. It's just stupid. It's just stupid. <laughs> All right. So anyway. Okay. So now, um, so also to Tamara, she wants to get back at Renee for like being a space cadet. She has she has a plan to get rid of her. So we see Renee and uh, the teacher Colleen talking on the boat. And, like, Tamara just comes up to her and just knocks her off the boat. I'm like, what the fuck? I was like, boy, that cocaine's kicking in, huh? She just knocks her right down the fucking boat. And, like, teacher's freaking out, like, what the fuck's it go? It's an accident. And she's like, she can't swim, basically. Like, you know, because she has that fear of water. Of course, you know, nobody knows that except for her and the teacher now. And Charles. And uh, then we could see from the water on a moving boat... Okay, she's still kind of close to the boat, even though the boat's moving. And um, she's getting pulled down by the kid Jason. And, of course, Sean comes in there and he saves her. And, like, we could see Tamara just laughing it off with the uh, with Eve. And then, of course, Eve's like, i got to get out of here. You know. So, I guess Eve didn't find it as funny. But, you know, they're both pretty fucked up on cocaine right now. So. so, now, Renee, she's upset. And Charles is upset, too. They're all upset. Um, and Colleen, Charles is mostly upset at Colleen for like forcing him to come here, even though she didn't really do that. Then we got probably my favorite character of the uh, the film, New Ralph, brother. He's here. Yes, New Ralph is the best character. And he said, "You're all fucking doomed," and he's come you're back, and you're all gonna die. <laughs> this Ralph is even more intense than almost as intense as the first one because he's basically like, "Hey, this guy came back, you're all gonna fucking die." So I'll see you later. <laughs> All right, so now, um, so now Renee she leaves, and now she's having some more visions. She sees blood water, and she sees the kid Jason coming through the window to grab her. And I'm just thinking, okay, is this supposed to be like Nightmare on Elm Street now? Because we're getting a little bit too Nightmare over here for me, you know, with all this dream it, shit. What would have been really cool, knowing what was going to happen, you know, a few years later? Yeah. Um, well, starting really in the next movie. Is if they had hinted, we're able to hint at Freddy, yeah, Freddy Krueger being part of this. Well, we already know, you know they're the in end, the same universe if you go by canon. Because uh, of Freddy versus Jason, how do we know that? They but that doesn't happen yet, though. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's happened yet; it's still in canon. No, oh right, okay. So yeah, I mean, we can look back on it now yeah. and say that. But what I was saying was, it would be kind of cool if they could have hinted at it in this movie. Yeah. Because remember yeah. at the end of Jason Goes to Hell, doesn't Freddy Krueger's gloved hand come out of it? Yeah, it like takes him to hell and some shit. Yeah. 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 Um, well, you know, they, but anyway, when they did Jason versus Hell, like it was the same company. So, 
Right. And uh, yeah, so she's uh, hallucinating about seeing Jason's dead body. Yes. Or not dead body, but like Jason as a Jason kid. as a boy yeah. under the, as a kid. And, and one thing that I thought was annoying, but I guess it made sense because it's an hallucination, is that Jason as a kid looked different in every scene they filmed him. Like the makeup was different every single time. Yeah. He definitely looked like different. Sometimes he wasn't. Yeah. Deformed at all, and sometimes his deformity was different. Sometimes it was on the yeah, other I probably saw him deformed. Like, yeah, he basically didn't look deformed at all, right? Usually, supposed to be so. So, now we have the uh, a good scene here. We have Charles, and he has come back to his room and he sees Mrs. Mason, which is uh, Tamara, and she has candlelit and she has a little champagne. And she's like, I'm here to show you my biology project, and of course, he's going crazy on her. And he's like, okay, well, let me show you to you. She takes off her little nightgown and she's revealing that she's in a some lingerie with like her ribs and her heart all painted up. And she's all like, I need you to make sure I have all my organs labeled. And she jumps on him, starts making out with this guy. And I'm like, all right, brother, let's do it. We got some teacher and student sex going on here. We got some cocaine, some heroin. Let's go, brother. Let's party. So all this was apparently a ploy. Because our boy Wayne was filming it, and then I guess our our, our boy Charles, he is not one of the uh, uh, he doesn't have the uh, the uh, teacher student relationship that a lot of uh, other teacher and students would have, I guess. So he gets uh, Tamara off her off of him, and she basically reveals like, yeah, I got you on tape in here, so you can't really do anything. And of course, Charles is like, I'm gonna suspend you, I'm gonna suspend you, and all this stuff, and he leaves. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it, he's not gonna do anything because I have this tape. That I blackmailed him on, brother. So. Yes. So now she's taking a shower to get all of the uh, the paint off of her and shit. And this scene was pretty wild. So this this is probably like the best kill scene, I guess, in the movie. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, in some ways, yes. Yeah. So she takes the shower, and then she's getting ready. And Jason just breaks in there, smashes her ass against the fucking mirror. All right? And, no, well, no, he... he, he, he he, he comes in there, he breaks it, he, he smashes pushes her, the mirror. he smashes yeah. the mirror, and then he kills her with the glass. And we could see in the, yeah, uh, the was... bloopers, you actually could see the glass in her. But she's like, like this girl that played this character, she was like, like really going for it. Like she was like, yeah, she... playing this out like it was like some great drama that yeah. she was. Oh <laughs> yeah, like, that's on, right with her. You're in like, <laughs> oh my god, brother. Like I don't know, I didn't really like, she's, like her. Curled up in the corner, yeah. she's like. I'm like, oh come on! You're you're in a fucking Friday the Thirteenth movie. Just like play your part and just get the fuck out. And to be honest with you, I didn't really like her. I didn't really like her scream that much. That was a little too phony no. for me. Yeah. Even though she was like really excited about doing that part, I was like, I don't know about that. It was a little phony to me. So now it's storming outside now. So the rain's starting to come down. Jason's grabbing a weapon, and this is when we see the captain and his captain mate Jim. Jim was talking about how he just has a nine-year-old boy. And then Captain's like, no, don't go too hard on him. Because you can see what happens when I go too hard on my son. And then the captain leaves. Jason comes in there, stabs Jim. So he's dead. And then the captain comes back and then Jason slits his throat. Very slowly. So that's like the only like slowly kill that we had here was when he killed the captain. So now, and I'm not really sure how they were going to do this. But apparently Sean and Rennie wanted to leave the boat. So they want to leave a moving boat in a stormy weather to go on the little boat to get out of there. Yeah, that's a good idea. 
Yeah. So they go up. So to, I, was, I, had a, go ahead. I had a problem with this whole scene about I have a problem really with this whole scene about them sa- sailing to New York City. Yeah. Because Crystal Lake is in New Jersey. And it is not very far to New York City from New Jersey. I mean, I don't know exactly how long it takes, but it doesn't take overnight. Yeah, but like it's you funny if you're on, on a, a cruise. Ferry. There's no crew. Like, <laughs> what are they cruising around? Like, well, they had that one that room one that partied. You know, <laughs> I don't even know how you. How do you get from Crystal Lake to the ocean? <laughs> well, you know, brother. We like, I told you when this shit was forest green, they built a a pathway to go to the main ocean to go to New York. That's how. Because. Lakes don't work that way. So you have like lake. Okay, so lake water does flow to the ocean eventually through rivers, but that's how you can have fresh water flowing into salt water, and it doesn't flow the other way. And well, it's just, it's just, okay, hold on. This so, whole thing confused me. I don't think. Like, okay, hold on. I don't think they actually sailed from Crystal Lake. I think they, they okay. maybe they sailed like a little bit towards like more like the the coast or something. But, but 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 so, then again, though, is your point kind of does make sense because how did Jim and Susie's boats get to the dock that they were going yes. to? So. Like, if, okay, none of this would matter if they didn't clearly show that Jason was underneath the water where the boat was. Yeah, like if 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 Jason had been resurrected some other way and come out of Crystal Lake and wandered through the woods to the shore, the Jersey Shore, or whatever. And then, like, got on this boat. That would have been one thing. But he clearly was resurrected, under, basically underneath the boat. And then he just climbs up onto the boat for some random reason. Um, and then, then they're on this huge. Like, then it makes it seem like you know there's a storm and they're out at sea on this big storm. Well, he smells teenagers. Like, uh, he smells teenagers. You're right. Uh-huh. But then it's storming, and it's they make it seem like they're out at sea somewhere. Like they're in this big long sea voyage kind of like um that part in dracula when he's traveling from uh transylvania to england and then he kills everybody on the boat that's what this scene actually reminded me a lot of like he's like um like that part in this whole part was like the part in dracula where he's traveling from like transylvania to england and kills everybody on the boat yeah but we don't ever see that happen in the actual book or the movie but it, it no they, they made that new just, movie about that I know the what voyage of the Demeter or whatever. Yeah. yeah I want to see that, but yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's just like, this is just was not well thought out in my opinion. I hated this part of it, but the boats are my, the boat scenes are my favorite part of the yeah. movie. Strangely enough. So, um, but you know how you said it wasn't well thought out. Well, wait, wait, wait to the, wait to this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so Sean and, and Rennie, they go up to the, uh, the captain's uh, board and they see now Sean sees his dead dad in there and everything. And he calls everybody over the intercom to come up to the bridge in a very like nervous type of voice, and they need to uh, they need to call the coast guard. Like Sean actually gets a hold of the coast guard, but our boy Jason, he apparently during his whole time at Crystal Lake has figured out where the antenna is on a boat. And I, at first you're thinking, well, that doesn't really make sense, but I have a perfect explanation for you. See, you know, when Jason was a young kid growing up in the shack all by himself, he read a bunch of yeah. sailor bo- uh, bo- books. Right. So that's how he knew how he to. Uh, had, yes. That's how he yeah, knew he had how to, to find yeah. some way to kill time, right? Yeah. So that's how he knew exactly where the antenna was on a cruise ship. That's how he knew. Make sense? Okay, gotcha. 
Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so now, so now Charles is up there. He's all like shocked and stuff, and he about the people dying. And Newt Ralph just comes in. All right, because we have basically we have most everybody show up. We have like Julius and some of the kids show up to there. They kind of see the dead. They the, the teacher shows up, and then Charles shows up, and then New Ralph comes in and says, "Yeah, you're all gonna die." He's back for you, Jason Voorhees is on this ship. You're all gonna die. And How then, does Ralph know that? <clears throat> because okay, so so they did cut out a scene with Ralph, so that kind of <laughs> okay. explains how he kind of knows that. But okay, so Ralph was the guy who saw the boat at the beginning just crash into the dock area. So he's kind of suspicious about that. But on a blooper scene, you can actually see Ralph walking around the um, the boat, and he actually sees like Jason's shadow, like walking around, like he's hiding from Jason's, you know, Jason around the boat. And then he actually yeah. sees um, a kid die. Like Jason kills like this other character. I believe it's the I believe. This, you know the sauna guy. I believe they they filmed a, mm-hmm. a, a different death scene for him. I can't tell. There, there's like there's like two people that they filmed with a scene with. But the one guy got basically got his eye stabbed through Jason, and he got pulled pull, pull on the floor, and that's how Ralph knew that Jason was around here. But in the the this cut, he just knows Jason's there because he's new Ralph. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now Charles he is now blaming Ralph, new Ralph, on, uh, uh, and, and, and Ralph's like, you're blaming me, you're the one that's crazy, and then he just leaves. So, uh, Julia, yeah, Julia wants to find the killer before they, the, the killer finds them, and Charles is like, who made you in charge? I'm the charge of this school, and Julia says like, hey, school's out, motherfucker. You can't boss me around anymore, so they go out and they go get some weapons oh, to yeah. go find this killer. Of course. Um, and then Renee, she is... <laughs> so, apparently during all this melee, Charles is like, well, where the hell's Renee? And Charles is like, well, I sent her out there alone, you know, in storming weather, and she's scared of water to go, you know, do the anchor by herself. With a killer out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? Cause, uh, so we're going to send a girl that. who's scared of water... To go to the downstairs part to anchor the fucking boat. Gotcha. So she's down there looking all nervous and she gets scared by Charles. And Charles is like, wow, what are you doing? You can't drop anchor during a storm. That's nuts. So he kind of stops her from dropping the anchor. All right. So now we have uh, Eve. Remember her? She's back. And she sees Tamara dead in the shower. So she starts freaking out. And then she's running and she eventually runs into Jason and now she's running away from him. And she goes all the way to the dance floor area. That's apparently always on. You're right. <laughs> like they don't turn it apparently. off, brother. It's like... you. No, we, I just we, yeah. 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. Anytime you want to go party in this room, it's on, brother. You don't have to turn mm-hmm. on lights or nothing. It's just there. Nope. So she she's stuck in this room, too. Like Apparently, there's only one way in one way out. Okay? Uh, this room that's always on only has all the lock- doors are locked. And then she gets caught by Jason, and then Jason chokes her out on the dance floor. And I was like, you could probably not do this scene nowadays. So, No, no, for sure. So now Julius and his friends are now gathering weapons, and Julius is all proud because he has the gun. That's the only thing he needs, brother, is this gun. So now Wayne, he's in the boiler room looking for JJ. 
and he also has a gun. So he has like a camera. Like he has a camera. He has this fucking huge video camera on one, you know, shoulder and a gun on his other arm. Walking through the yeah, where do all these guns come from? Where did they find? Well, these they guns? found them in the uh, uh, the fucking. Uh, so you know, this movie is is the same universe as Zombie Four and Three. No, let's see. Where okay. we're gonna keep a whole arsenal and the mm. places you wouldn't expect. So we have on our boy Captain. He just has a bunch of fucking guns and 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 that can be easily accessed, just like Zombie Four with our hospitals and shit. The guns were just there, so that's okay. why. Mm. And it was booked, by the way. That's why. So, so he's going down there and he loses his glasses. All right. And then this guy just shows up and he just shoots his ass. Like, we're not asking questions over here, brother. And I liked it how the guy that he shot, it was just like another like deckhand guy. Uh, yeah. He had the same gloves, has the Jason lips on. And I thought for sure this Jason was going to take those gloves, but he didn't. Um, and uh, then it was a, a missed opportunity. Yeah, I know. It's like, come on, brother. Could have had his utility belt and everything back. So the guy's recording it, and he actually, you can see the recording of uh, him killing the guy, the guy dead on the floor, and then Jason is like right, right above him. And then they start, and then the Jason just like fucking knocks the video camera out of the guy's hand. And then they start, uh, the, Wayne starts running. He eventually trips over the dead JJ's body. And then Jason takes Wayne and then throws his ass into electrical board. And this is 1989. So anytime you get thrown into electrical board, it blows up, brother. So now we have Sean, Colleen, Charles trying to open or try to operate the boat to get it back on course. All right. And then Charles is complaining the whole time about every little thing. This guy just keeps complaining and complaining. Doesn't think Jason's real. And he's asking what kind of captain is this Sean guy? Did he learn anything from his dad? So now, uh, Jason, there's like a fire that's starting down below. All right. And then Jason pulls the fire alarm. All right. And now Charles is like, okay, well, you know what? You know, the killer, you know, how do we know there's a fire down there? The killer could just be playing with us and get us all to panic. So I'm going to take this flare gun and I'm going to go find new Ralph and I'm going to go take care of this because he thinks new Ralph is the the killer on the boat. He doesn't believe in this whole Jason stuff. Yeah, because that's what you'd think, right? Yeah. So, it kind of makes sense, you know, with our boy there. But, uh, so now the, uh, the, so we, we, we're outside, and then the Julius's friends, they're, they're, we, we find one of them that had like an axe, and he's trying to fight Jason. And of course, uh, <laughs> he doesn't, it doesn't work that at all. That never works out. Yeah. So he just know. axes him, um, uh, by the, uh, so he, so the guy, he's fighting with the axe, and he just runs up the pole. Okay. And then I guess this Jason has like the same powers from before where he just teleports. So he teleported up from the pole and he pushes the guy down. The guy falls on some more poles and he gets stabbed by a pole. A lot of poles in this scene. And (laughs) Julius hears this whole stuff happening at this time. And uh, (laughs) I like it too. Like Julius comes over there. He's going to do something. Jason just takes him, throws him off the fucking boat. All right. So now Renee during uh, Rennie during this whole time is stuck in her room, and she, now she's seeing a, a ghost Jason kid now, all covered in slime for some reason. And then uh, Sean heads in there, and he. Uh, uh, so, so Sue, Sue, uh, Jason. So basically, before Sean comes in there, 
uh, Renee backs up to the window. This is where we can see Jason bust his head, like does a headbutt to the window and starts grabbing her and stuff. And then she pulls away. Yeah. And then she actually stabs Jason in the eye with the Stephen King pen, brother. Take that. Yeah. That, Glad she was given that. Yeah. Came in handy. That's that powerful Stephen King pen, brother. Can stop Jason. All right. That'd be an interesting combination. She uh, and it's called and it's, uh, it's called a Stephen. We're calling it a Stephen King pen because isn't that what the teacher describes it as? Like, yeah, this is a pen that Stephen King would have used to write something or something. Yeah, like that. it was like his, his original pen from one of his books. So. Oh, it actually yeah. did belong to Stephen. Yeah, King. Yeah, it belonged to him, brother. Yeah. Okay. Oh, never mind. All yeah. right, fair enough. You 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 don't even want to know that backstory, brother. How she got <laughs> no, that you're right. I you're right. I I don't. I don't. So Sean comes up here confused. And then, like, um, Renee, she, I mean, Rennie just thinks she's just seeing shit. All right. And so they, uh, they get on, they get on out of there. So now the, the boat is starting to blow up now. The power room's all fucked up and everything. Um, uh, Colleen, she's leaving and Jason's outside. Uh, Charles is in the kitchen now looking for new Ralph. Finds new Ralph with the new, new Ralph has a knife. He pushes Charles over and he runs away. So Charles still thinks New Ralph is the killer. All right. So now uh, Sean and Jenny they're checking they're checking out the the control room, and now there's water in the engine room. So and then there's water in there, and they kind of get stuck in some water, and they get on out of there. So Charles shows up upset and being an asshole again, and then Sean tells him, "Listen, if you want to live, you got to start listening to me." Okay. And Sean and, and they believe now that Jason is actually on board this ship. And if they want to live, you got to guys got to listen to Sean over here. So they go outside and they actually see new Ralph for a second. And Charles tries to shoot a little flare on him. But of course it's jammed. And new Ralph is actually dead. He's been stabbed in the back. And this is when we get a random blue lightning strike on the ship. And they all go to the emergency boat. Okay, so we have Sean, Rennie, Charles, and Colleen. And they all, so they all get on the boat, and Jason just watches them go onto the boat. And then when they're about to leave, we have Julius. He shows up on the boat, and the dog is also on the boat as well, too. So they all sail, sail off um, to, the, to get on out of there. So now we have Charles. He's being an ass on the boat. This guy's just a dick the whole time. That's how he's booked, apparently. I guess so, yeah. So he is giving Sean some shit because he can't figure out where, you know, because Sean is, he, he has the uh, little navigation tool on him. And he's not pretty sure how to use it, but they're just going to be taking a chance. And then, and then Julius gives him like a pep talk. And now it's nighttime and they're all kind of worn out. They're about to be sleeping. And then Julius sees Lady Liberty, brother. They have arrived. We're finally here in New York City, brother. We have arrived to the New York City. Uh, they dock. Of course, Charles is upset about where they docked at. All right. And then, so it took them like probably a couple hours, maybe even a whole day to get to New York City. And so, yeah. right when they get there, Jason just swam the whole place. He just, he, apparently Jason, he, well, okay. So it's either two things. Jason can either swim or he just walks the whole bottom of the ocean and then walked bike up. Uh, yes, but they they sh- they sail overnight though. 
Mm-hmm. So it makes it seem like it takes a very long time to get there. Yeah. Um, well, he's a, he, but, like I said, maybe Jason in his new form powers is a power swimmer. I'm sure he is. Well, he's super power now, right? He's, he's yeah. super Jason. Super zombie. So Jason's there and he stares at him hockey mask on a big billboard and he kind of looks at it weird. Gotcha. Here's a couple weird scenes that I wasn't necessarily expecting watching this movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't say. We got fucking dark over here, brother. I was like, okay. So we have the whole crew. They're like walking on like a shipping dock, right? And they basically need to find like a phone, you know, to call some people. And they think, you know, Jason just got left on the boat and shit. They don't know that he's here. And then out of nowhere, we see the two like gangs, like gang members um, from earlier. They were doing like the heroin and shit, you know, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. They show up and they make everybody give them all their money. All right. I was like, okay, they actually had money on them too, I guess. So Charles gives them the money. Julius gives them some money. And then the main, um, the I guess the main long hair dude. Who kind of looked like mm-hmm. a young, uh, what's the guy from Slayer's name? He kind of looked like a young version of him. Tom Araya? Yeah. Araya? Whatever yeah. his name is? Yeah. Kind of okay. looked like a young, you know, they could be brothers, you know. So he wants the Lady Liberty and, uh, you know, obviously Sean's like, hey, you know, they basically threaten him. Like, hey, you know, if you guys move around, we're going to kill this girl, this Rini girl. And he takes the Lady Liberty. He's about to shoot the dog, but she intervenes. And he's like, okay, well, I'm taking you with me because I'm, you know, you know I'm going to show you a good time. I'm going to show you a good party. And they actually kidnap her and take her away. And Julius wanted to go after him. But Charles like, no. I mean, Charles is like, no, we can't go after her right now. You know, we got to find the cops or something. Because you usually say that if they come, if we come close by, they're just going to kill her. All right. So, so. What happens is the the two gang members they take her to her little the little like fucking corner alley that they're in. Yeah. They fucking put her on the couch, like hold mm-hmm. her down and stuff, saying like, "Hey, you know, they're basically gonna like you know fucking probably gonna rape her," and they fucking yes. get the they get their heroin and they actually physically mm-hmm. shoot it into her fucking arm, get her all yes. doped up on heroin. All right. And it, but it they, doesn't seem to affect her just a few minutes later. Wait, hold on a second. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. I think it kind of does. We we see, the, you know, I'll debate that with you for a little bit. All right. All right. So this guy is two seconds away from, like, raping this girl. Okay. And it's some dark shit right here. Like, this is some gritty, dark shit. And then out of fucking nowhere, Jason just comes around and stabs this motherfucker with the fucking uh, needle. So apparently, you know, Jason, you know, he's an evil, crazy Frankenstein's monster. But, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't like the old uh, heroin and rapist, at least. So No, no. Yeah, no. he's uh, he's definitely an evil person who wants to kill every teenager yes. for having a vice and doing, and doing the sex and the drugs and the drinking. Yeah. But he doesn't stand for this. Yeah. So it kills- Even though in part two, it's kind of implied that he raped somebody, but still. Well, you know, that was uh, that was a couple of decades ago. So we're good. That's true. Yeah, we that's have, true. We're, this that's is the new Jason brother. Yeah, All that's right? true. So then he sees the other guy, and the other guy starts shooting him. Maybe like three times, maybe. So yeah. he shoots him. Three in. times. Sorry. So he shoots his ass, and it doesn't work, and then he kills that guy. And then during this, um, Renee, she's not that doped up, you know, mm-hmm. so she runs away. Okay. So that was a. I didn't expect seeing this kind of scene. I was like, this kind of um, took me back a little bit because it was pretty dark. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
So, after all this, uh, Julius finds a phone, and he tries to call the police, but Jason just appears out of nowhere and attacks his ass. Okay? And then Julius eventually escapes to the top of the roof, and this is when we get the famous boxing scene that the director had to have. Originally, originally he wanted this scene to be in Madison Square Garden, where Jason would box somebody in Madison Square Garden, but they couldn't oh afford God. it, so they picked the rooftop brother. Which was shot in Vancouver. Yes. And then they were boxing each other over and over again. He, uh, Julius was like, you know, this is a this is a good scene. Like, he was punching him. He was kind of giving him his all and everything. He was trying his hardest to beat this undead monster. And then he's like, hey, give me your best shot. And Jason, with one punch, punches off his head. And we see the head rolling into a trash can. Yeah, this was, I hated this. Like, I, I just hate when he Jason does all this, like, physically impossible things. Well, I mean, he kind of did like those it. in part six. So we, we've seen that Jason this can do... This in part six, yes. Because, yes. you know, in part six, he did the, he, you know, chop three people's heads off at once, stab three people at the same yeah. time. So, you know, we've already kind of established that he can do things like this. So, uh, uh, Rennie, she's high now. Because we can see the the, 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 the camera, the little fuzzy. All right? And mm. Sean just runs into her. And her thing was like, hey, you know, I almost got raped by these fucking uh, gang members. No, she's like, hey, Jason's here. Jason's here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he's here. We watch yeah. And then, of course, Colleen and Charles, they find them too. And they all they all try to go find... Uh, they, oh, Charles actually found one cop. All right? He did. And uh, and then uh, this is when Sean and all of them were saying, like, hey, Jason is here in, in, in New York and stuff. And then the cop's kind of confused. And Charles is like, okay, well, I'll tell you about the story. And the, I like how the cop's like, well, you know, that's kind of a weird story for you guys. But, you know, you all seem pretty, like, honest people. So, yeah, I can believe your story. <laughs> that's what the cop is sure. saying. And sure. then uh, they're about to get into the cop car because they got to go find Julius right away so they can get out of there. And then when they're in the cop car, they can see the dead head of Julius on the dashboard. They all freak out. Jason comes over there, kills the cop. And then Renee, she takes the uh, Rennie, she takes the wheel of the police car, runs over Jason, sees Boy Jason, and runs into Boy Jason's ghost, which is basically uh, you cannot tell me she's not high during this. Okay, so she takes the fucking cop car, right, with everybody in it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fucking yeah. runs over Jason. And then just runs right into a fucking wall because she's seeing because she's so doped up the the Jason boy, all right. And then she runs so fucking fast inside the fucking car that everybody gets out except for the teacher, and she eventually kills the teacher because of her meth driving. Right. So yeah, so she was fucked up. You know what I mean? That's some hard stuff there, brother. So I thought that part was pretty crazy. I was like, come on now, like. <laughs> We're gonna run over boy yeah, Jason I mean, Ghost, right into yeah, the fucking I mean, that, wall. That, that whole that whole scene was pretty hardcore. Yeah. So now that they're out of there, the car blows up. They just see the fucking Colin. She's stuck in there, burning to death. And then, of course, now then fucking Rennie. I thought she was turning heel because she had this sinister look on her face, and she was just remembering a flashback. Okay. So there's a flashback <laughs> we're having bad. here. <laughs> Yes. That it was it's Charles and a young Rennie at Camp Crystal Lake and I I I 
think this is the period where her parents were already dead. But, you know, because she said she used to, like, in between boarding school, she used to go visit her uncle at Camp Crystal Lake. And the, the Which uncle... Which looks way smaller here. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the forest green hasn't happened yet, so... That's true. They haven't expanded, you know, shit like that. So, his idea to teach her to swim was just throw their ass in there. Okay, the lake. Like, you're only going to learn. It's like, hey, you know... You know, that boy, Jason, he apparently, you know, Jason, you know, like he's like the legend around there. So the Charles is telling the legend of Jason to uh, Rini about, Whoa. you know, you got to swim out of the lake or else Jason will grab you. Or as I was about oh. to say, originally he tells her because she he's trying to teach her to swim. Yeah. And then he says that uh, Jason is underneath the lake and he'll he pulls down little girls who can't swim. Yeah. And then he throws her ass in the lake because <laughs> everyone knows that's the best way to teach somebody how to yeah. do something. Is just throw them in, and if they don't succeed, they yeah. die. It's like you better get up. Jason's gonna grab your ass. All right, and she's like screaming. She actually sees Jason in there, so that's how she developed her fear of water. So now yes. she remembered this, and now she's like, "It was you. It was you all the time that threw me into the lake, and it was all pissed off." And I'm here thinking, like, didn't you just fucking kill that fucking English teacher for being a fucking <laughs> bad driver? You give a fuck about this guy throwing you into a fucking lake? All right, what about her? You just killed her ass. She was like a nice girl. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so now they're all mad at Charles now, and they all leave. So Renee and Sean leave, and he's like, Sean's like, you better stay away from her for throwing her in the lake and make her afraid of water, even though she just killed this fucking English teacher. Okay. So now Jason shows up, all right, and um, Charles can't believe, you know, he can't believe what he's seeing because he hasn't seen Jason up until this point. He's basically saying this is not possible. Tries to run from Jason. Jason takes his ass and dumps him into that toxic waste bin that we saw at the beginning of this at the movie with the little rats in it. And that's how he, yeah. that's how that's how Charles dies. So, all right, let's see what we got here. Oh yeah, there was a part though where like um, Charles like goes in the building and just gets thrown right out. I thought that was pretty funny. Before he dies. Because, you know, Jason has that, uh, he has that power to, to he kind of has that Michael Myers power where he can, like, transfer anywhere he wants. So, now we see uh, Sean, he finds, uh, 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 <laughs> so, you know, you know, Renee, she, she, uh, I like my notes over here. So, you know, Renee, she, she, she wandered off. You know, not, they didn't, Sean and her didn't leave together. She had wandered off on her own. So, I put in my notes, Sean finds doped up Renee. Sad on a chair, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now this is when she's telling the story about, um, you know, the deep of the water. Well, and then her her parents died in a car accident, all right. And then she she was, you know, this is kind of weird. So she's basically saying like her life story of like you know, her her parents died in a car accident when she was young. Mm-hmm. She went to boarding school and she would visit you know Charles on the weekend stuff like I was saying. And she feels like everybody that gets close to her are going to give her harm and they die. And of course, Sean's like, I will never lose you. And then he starts kissing her ass. Because all he can think about is some sex. Because he's seen her doped up on heroin. He saw his English teacher die. His dad's dead. All right. This Mm. Charles guy is a a crazy man. And now he wants some sex. Makes sense. So then Jason shows up because he knows some sex is about to happen. And then they all freak, they, they freak out, uh, Sean, they, they leave and they all go to the subway. 
So now we have the whole subway scene. All right. Where Jason like breaks through the... I like when they they go into the subway door. Jason just breaks through the glass. That part was pretty cool. So this one's kind of confusing too, Allison. Maybe I got a question for you here pretty soon. So they're in the subway, right? And Jason's on the subway train as well. And Jason just walking through the, uh, the, the train. And people are just thinking just some weird guy from New York. You know what I mean? Oh, this ain't no mask killer. Just some weird guy. Chasing these girls, which to be, yeah. which to be honest, is really, especially like in the '80s, would not be that unusual. Like, yeah, I mean, the last time I went to New York, I saw people wearing all kinds of weird shit, just walk walking down the street, yeah. capes and cowboy boots, and all kinds of feather boas and all kinds of weird bullshit. So this maybe not be that unusual, really. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it didn't like they call for help, nobody helps. I mean, that's not unusual either. Okay, and then they they go out of the train and they basically trick Jason because they fall off the train together and they trick him and then Jason gets electrified on the railroad track but electricity brings Jason back that's to what I was going to ask you so why did this electricity <laughs> harm our boy Jason at this time now I have a theory is it because it's not blue yes that's it that's brother that's exactly why yes because this was white electricity <laughs> It wasn't the blue different. one. Yeah. If it was the blue one, this guy would have been jacked. He would have been like the Hulk on this bitch. Okay. But it was the white electricity, so it stopped him for a very short time period. Okay. Yes. If you're all wondering about that, that's why that happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they leave. Of course, they didn't get hurt by the electricity train track. No. So so they, they, they're leaving on there, right? And they go up to the, uh, basically, it's the Times Square right now. And I was just writing down, like, you know, when they get on Times Square, they all look like it's, like, an amazing place because they have all the billboards everywhere and the lights. Um, yeah. And I was, like, noticing some of the, uh, the, the uh, you know, the, we had Burger King as one of them. We had, like, mm-hmm. Canon as one of them. We had Cole on there. Yeah, this is, like, mm-hmm. the, the different billboards on there. And they're all just walking around like everything's fine and normal. And, and then, of course, they, they give each other a hug. And then uh, Renee sees Jason. And, of course, Jason is now on Times Square looking around, okay? And then they start running, all right? And they're running, yes. and then we can hear, like, these, like, kids, like, these punker kids listen to, like, this, like, rap song. And then Jason comes in and kicks the radio. Kids are about to, like, <laughs> stab him. <laughs> they're about to stab him, and Jason Wait. looks at him and takes off his mask, and they're like, okay, bro, you're good. We're out of here. Yeah, I thought the part where he takes off his mask and scares him was dumb, but like, yeah. <laughs> I love the scene where he's just like, they're listening to their music and he's walking down the sidewalk and he just like kicks the radio as yeah, he okay. walks past. <laughs> <laughs> so now Sean and, and Rennie, they go to a diner. Okay. And they're like, hey, there's this maniac uh, uh, killing, uh, trying to kill us. And she's like, oh, okay. Welcome to New York. Welcome to New York. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Jason uh-huh, comes, breaks funny. through the door. Okay, and then this huge cook guy tries to um, fight him, and then Jason just yeah. whips him against the door. And did you know, Allison, and everybody out there, that the guy who who Jason took right here and and threw against the wall, this cook guy, was the stunt coordinator of this film, and he would later play Jason in Freddy vs. Jason. I did not know that, but I was yeah. going to ask you if you noticed that uh, the uh, um, so like so this is Kane Hodder, right? Playing Jason yes. in this movie. Yes. Yeah. 
So who is a big guy? If you've ever met him, he's huge. This guy is way larger than yeah. Jason. Like he looked like a giant. And I was thinking they should just get that guy to play Jason. Yep, but apparently did. they did. Yeah. His name is a uh, Kane. Oh, I'm fuck up his last name. Kersner. Cr- mm-hmm. Yeah. Kersner. And yeah, right, he right. so he was like the, uh, the stunt coordinator for this film. But then they would use him later on to play Jason and Jason Foreys. And yeah, he was a lot bigger than Kane was and stuff. So little, little did our boy Kane know that this guy that he threw against the wall would later take his job. Because at that time, Kane wanted to play Jason in Jason versus Freddy. So, so after this, they, they get out of the diner. They are rock, running around. They eventually get up to the sewer. Okay, they go down to this the New York sewer, sewer, and I was like, okay, we're we gonna see some Ninja Turtles around here, or some shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. So they're running down the sewer, and they run into a uh, a sewer worker, construction mm-hmm. worker, I guess. And he's like, hey, what are you kids doing down here? It's like, oh, we need some help out of here. It's like, okay, well, we better get out of here now, because uh, around midnight all the time over here, we have a toxic waste just floods the fucking sewer. Yeah. Sure, that makes Toxic waste, sense. brother, just floods Tox- down here. Toxic waste just runs through. Yeah. That's not a problem that they. Need I'm to thinking, deal like, what the fuck? What are they? Was is this piss or shit? Like, what are they doing? Is this like a bunch of the heroin's it's, pissing or something? Like, what it's is like this? the ooze. That it's the ooze that makes the teenage mutant ninja turtles. That's right. See, it all comes together, brother. Yeah, it's, it's all the, the same universe. Yes. So they're running around. They run into Jason. Jason kills this worker. Okay, so they they they. And then Sean gets like knocked out, okay. And then Rennie she runs away. She finds a lucky bucket of uh, toxic waste. She knows it was toxic waste because it was labeled mm-hmm. toxic waste. Okay, that's absolutely that's what you do. So she takes the toxic waste. She waits for Jason. She pours it in his fucking face. Okay, the the fucking hockey mask comes off. We see Jason's face doesn't look as it's all mold. It's it's kind of like a grayish skeleton looking face. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. look as cool as the ones that did it, like, at least number seven and stuff. But, you know, right. he's more decayed at this time, and he has some toxic New York waste on him. You know, I thought he was going to turn into Super Shredder, but I guess I was wrong. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, I guess, it, I guess yeah. that's just, uh, maybe, maybe against, uh, maybe against, um, human cells. Okay. It, the toxic mm. waste doesn't work, but if, like, Jason, if he was like a rat or something, bro, there you go. No, actually, did not get me. I don't know. Wait, did it? Wait, Shredder. He had some of that. I'm not going to get into it. Anyway. Yeah, I think Shredder also was yeah. mutated by the U. Yes. Well, maybe our boy Jason. He just uh, maybe they could, they could have done that storyline. You know what I mean? Got the ooze on him. Came even be bigger. So now that now uh, Rennie, she she goes back to Sean to try to wake him up. So she wakes him up and stuff, and then she can start to hear that the toxic waste flood is about to happen so she runs all the way up to like these stairs jason's you know grabbing her leg and stuff and now jason can hear the um toxic waste and then jason looks over and then he randomly starts throwing up before the toxic waste can come okay and they shot this like a little different like two scenes were a little different so in this movie, we just saw the toxic waste like take over Jason. There's like a couple cut scenes if you can see like Jason in his younger form. And then after the mm-hmm. toxic waste is done, we could just see the younger form Jason just laying there. And the the one they yeah. cut out was Jason's younger self was trying to escape from Jason's mouth. 
while the toxic waste was like so basically the inner jason is like the boy the inner boy jason is like this like innocent kid you know what i mean even though in the first movie he grabbed somebody that was fishing when he's a boy yeah but, but this right. one is the innocent boy and we're trying to get him out, out of the evil shell that he's been inhabited in so his soul can rest peacefully so i guess that's what the point of this part was here. i guess so i still didn't like this but yeah. yeah and it was funny that the kid that played jason was like the editor's son so i thought that was a little interesting it's all in the family there brother so eventually sean and Mary they get out of there they get out of the sewer they're walking down New York City. Um, we have we see that Renee's face, okay, was looking a little shocked, is because they she saw her dog. So the dog's okay. Who just strangely comes out of nowhere? Yes. And then Sean talks about, hey, why don't we go visit that twenty-two story tall statue? Because you know we're in New York now, and like our you know our parents are dead, and everybody we know is dead, and. We don't have no money. We're in New York, and there's a bunch of street gang members over here trying to kidnap us and shoot us with heroin. But you know what? Let's go visit Lady Liberty, because that's what you do when you're in New York City, brother. And, of course, we fade to the New York skyline, and that's how we fade out of all the 1980s Friday the 13th movies. They have come to a close over here on the Retro Blood. So that's uh, that's the end. So that's the end, end as, yeah. as far as we're gonna go. Yeah, and because we we don't go past nineteen eighty nine. So yeah. this is as far as we're gonna go. Um, I, I know that you've seen them. Would you say that the the next two movies in the series goes to hell and, and Jason ten, Jason mm-hmm. X, whatever? Um, would you say that those movies are better or worse than this one? Hmm. So I don't. I haven't seen Jason goes to hell in a long time. Yeah, me too. That's the one. That I, I'm not exactly sure because, like I said, I haven't seen Jason Goes to Hell in a long time too. I mean, I know Jason X is just fucking just goofy. You know what I mean? Like the whole. Yeah, I like I like Jason X though. Yeah, I don't know. Like I got to rewatch him again, and then I can kind of compare him. You know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't really compare him right now because I'll have to rewatch him again. It's been a while. But you know, when it comes to the 1980s version, I thought this one was definitely better than six. Okay. Yeah. And this one was close to number five, but number five had way better kills on it. Even had a lot more kills, obviously, but it had way better kills on it. So I don't know. What do you think, Allison? What what out of the all the all of the all of the eight Friday the thirteenth movies, which one did you enjoy the most? Two. You know what? I'm gonna have to go with two as well, too. I really like yeah, two. two. Two is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um Seven and uh, so the thing about it is, like, I was really disappointed in part six. Like, I thought I haven't seen it in a very, very long time, maybe not since the 90s, maybe, but I thought I would like it more than I did. Yeah. Um, I just did not like it at all. Um, I didn't like anything about it. Like, I like seven and eight better than six for sure. Um, although they get, I was, I don't know, I would say that they get. One and two are great. Three and four are not bad. They're pretty good. I like them, yeah. But they're definitely not as good as one and two. Five, I think, is is the third best one. Yeah. And then then seven, then eight, then six. 
Yeah, so I'm going to say two, one, three, four. Uh, no, two, one, five, three, four, seven, eight, six. That's my ranking. You know what? My rank is pretty much almost identical to that. Like, I like number two. That was definitely my favorite one. It's just such a simple, great horror movie. Yeah, like and Jason's very—he's still realistic in yes. it. Like he's—it's he's creepy. Normal. He's just it's a great. Killer. Yeah. yeah, it's good. That one is very fun. Now, I—I was—I was surprised at number three. Um, you know how Jason eventually got his mask, and I said that movie was very creative, especially with the whole three D camera stuff. Like I know we were just doing yeah. stuff for the three D camera, but I yeah. thought that one was good. And of course, number four, the final installment. I kind of—I kind of see like three and four kind of like the same movie. You know what I mean? Like a one big long yeah. movie. It's, yeah, it's way. almost the same movie. That's what they should have called Friday yeah. the Thirteenth Part Three. They should have called it Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. How Jason got his mask. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, five. I liked it because they were they were going trying to go in a new direction, which I thought it was a pretty creative way to go into that new direction. I thought the characters yeah. were like pretty good in that film, and of course, like the just the wildness of the film. And you know, I, like six just bored me. Like it was just like it just a PG yeah, version just... of a Jason. It didn't have that grittiness that a lot of other ones do. Number seven was okay. I just couldn't handle the telekinesis crap. I, like, I didn't give a fuck about that. You know? And then this one was fun. Like, the actual, like, plot line and what we were seeing. The grittiness was there. The sex was there and everything. It's just, like, yeah. the kills were kind of goofy. So, it was kind of like doing goofy kills with very, like, serious tone to it. It was very interesting. So, but, yeah, man. I mean, uh, there it is, everybody. The whole Friday the 13th collection. We made it. This two-month extravaganza. But... The Retro Blood is not done for the month of October, brother, because coming up next week, The Retro Blood is inviting you all to the Retro Blood Party, the Retro Blood Halloween Party, October 29th. Retro Blood will come back for the very special Halloween episode where myself and Allison, we're going to talk about my favorite Halloween party movie to come out of the 1980s. I've gave hints about it on the Facebook page. I've hinted about it on this podcast. This is one of my favorite 1980s movies because me and the Allison, we're going to come on here drinking probably and we're going to be mm-hmm. talking all about Night of the Demons. The first one. Yes, it's, it's the party episode of Retro Blood. Brother, I cannot wait to talk about this. We got kids. We got demons. We got lipstick. We got titties. We got kids turning into demons. We got dancing. We got fucking. It's going to be a great time, everybody. Here on the Retro Blood, I cannot wait to talk about it. So there's one thing, though, we've got to talk about before we sign off that we, we forgot to mention earlier in the show. So this episode is the first episode of our third year. Oh, there you go, brother. Happy anniversary. So we've done everybody. two full years of this and we're starting season three, if you will. Yeah. So this is uh this is our first episode of our third year, and we're gonna have the Retro Blood Party episode next week to celebrate and watch Night of the Demons. Yes. And of course on that episode we'll give you the whole uh, November lineup as well. But everybody it's be great. You know, the Retro Blood network keeps going. Because dropping on October 24th, myself and Allison come back on the Lights Out podcast as we do the second annual battle mm. 
of the Halloween Havocs. 1994 versus 1999. 25 years to the date to 1999. Halloween Havoc. Very fun one. We battle a lot. Talk all kinds of WCW wrestling. We battle the shows out match by match. Who will come out the winner? I don't know. You guys are just going to it's got to turn in the seat. And, of course, we'll be back here with Lights Out again on Halloween for the Lights Out Halloween episode where they're going to talk all about Freddy versus Jason. The two megaheads colliding with each other. So that should be very fun. It's like Godzilla versus King Kong. Yes. So this month is still going, man. We're still partying out here for the Retro Blow. we got a whole lot of stuff in the bag and stuff hitting out there. But everybody... Um, like I said, we're not going to play a song right now, but uh, we're already going to leave you guys to hear the panel that I recorded of all the actors who've played Jason throughout the years. Kane Hodder, CJ Perry, Steve Dash, all of them on here talking about some of their adventures playing Jason, some of their fun stories. Steve Dash just fucking railing on everybody. Great time, everybody. So everybody check it all out for myself and Allison. We will see you guys here next week for the Retro Blood Party. Thank you, guys. Now, can we get the fucking show started? <laughs> I ain't got all day here, you know what I mean? All right, gentlemen, when we go down the line, introduce yourselves to this amazing crowd who already know who you are, but just for those who might not, please. Kane, we'll start with you. I am. My name. is Steve Dushkowitz, and I wore a sack on my head. Oh, man. I, I'm, I'm not Kane Hodder. <laughs> I'm Tom Morgan. I'm what's left of Ted White. <laughs> I'm CJ Grimm, Jason Part 6. I'm the real Jason. <laughs> None of these guys would have a job if it wasn't for me. <laughs> I turned down Part 3 like an idiot. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I'm Ken Kersinger. Are there uh, any Shudder ex- executives? Because I want to pitch a reality show with all of these Jasons on stage. All in a house. No, strike that. A cabin. Living together. Um, <laughs> gentlemen, I get you. the big bedroom, though. <laughs> So it begins. I get to um, push Steve down the stairs in a wheelchair. <laughs> Backward. Backward. Yeah. <laughs> um, guys, you guys are rock stars. Let's just talk about how after 40, uh, nearly 40 years, this, this franchise has endured. It's got an amazing fan base that loves the franchise and is clamoring for more. Um, what, you know... I'm, I, this goes out to all of you guys. What is it about this franchise that you feel uh, has has such staying power, and especially staying power with this character, Jason Voorhees? There it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
The guy in front of you get a seat. He goes. He goes tits. Got him. We're gonna have to ask you to leave now. Well, guys, let's start. Uh, we'll start with Ken. I mean, why don't you guys go through, go down the line, um, really quickly, tell us about how you jumped into the into the franchise. I mean, you guys all came from different walks of life um, in the industry, but you know, and the franchise has endured for such a long time. But just kind of give us a little micro story of how you got into the into your film. Uh, well, I, I, I guess I started on number eight as the stunt coordinator and the stunt double and the fry cook that gets killed. Uh, Kane and I, I think, are the only guys that have played Jason and been victims of Jason. Uh, I was interviewing for the stunt coordinating job for Freddy vs. Jason, and, and uh, they asked me if I would like to audition for, for uh, Jason. And, uh, and the rest is as it is. Wait, did you say that you're the only person to play Jason and a victim of Jason? No, I said... Yeah, I, don't worry, Kane, I mentioned your name. I couldn't hear it. <laughs> Steve, it's your turn. Steve, go ahead. I'm going to be here all fucking night. Turn, turn, turn his mic off. When I got the job, they hired another guy to play Jason. I, before I got the job, there was another guy to play Jason. You all know who that is? Piece of shit, Warrington. <laughs> they hired him to play Jason. He couldn't do his own stunts. The guy that was the stunt coordinator on his show, Cliff Cudney, said, we got to get another guy. We need somebody right away. So he called me up, and he said, Steve, he says, listen, I'm doing this show up in Connecticut. He said, the name of the movie, because they had a working title, and the working title was Jason. He said, we're doing this film, Jason. I said, yeah, he says, yeah, we got a guy that we hired to play Jason, but he can't do his own stunts, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> I said, okay, why do you want me? Because I'm a piece of shit also. <laughs> he says, well, you know Kane Hodder, don't you? I said, he's another piece of shit. <laughs> I said, I also know C.J. Graham, who's gay. <laughs> No, I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. I said, I said, yeah. He said, all right. I said, good. He says, all right. You got to come up to Connecticut. He said, meet the producer and the director. He says, you got the job. I said, I got the job. He said, yeah. I said, holy shit. I got a lead role in a film. <laughs> to myself. I was very excited. I'm going to be the star in a movie. I'm going to be on Johnny Carson. <laughs> and they're going to interview me. And I'm going to be great. And I went up to Connecticut, and I walked in the producer's office. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a joke. It's not meant for laughter. The man talking to you right now got out of the hospital three days ago and was not supposed to be here. So I think he deserves a big hand. Thank you very much, Ted. I was testing out for your role in the hospital when I had the heart attack. <laughs> the doctor did tell him for real that he would never make it to this convention. 
They and did. he's here, so. They so. did, but I got to tell you, I laid on the gurney in the emergency room, and I said, I got to be out of the hospital by Tuesday. The doctor says, no way, you're going to be here a week and a half. I says, Doc, I got to get out. He says, why? I said, I got to go to Texas. Amazing. Give a little round of applause for this. to the hospital, correct? It was your son. Yeah, it was my son. And Steve told his son, I don't think I'm coming home. So, that's pretty cool. I only had eight heart attacks, so it's not that bad. I got 14 stints on my heart, two of my groin, two of my legs, 21 stints. I've had seven heart attacks, I got diabetes. I'm like a used car, I look good on the outside. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I'm like a used car. I, 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 I need a new engine, a fuel pump, springs, and things. And if any women hit on me, you're wasting your time. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is Jason does live, huh? Just one minute. He told that heart attack thing four years ago. The same story. <laughs> I thought it was eight four years ago. We're trying to see CJ here too. You finished? I He's got not a job. used car. That's how I got the job on Friday the 13th, part two, and I, I uh, and I turned down part three. And if I didn't turn down three, none of these fucking guys would be here. <laughs> why? Why did you? Why did you turn down part three? Because it was Stupid. a cheap show, man. It was a cheap show. I was working on Guiding Light with Kevin Bacon, who was in the first Friday the 13th. I can tell you stories, folks, believe me. <laughs> CJ, is that my turn? That's my cue. Uh, I, you know, very respectful of all the men at this table. Um, I was very fortunate to step into a role and become part of this iconic image. Um, being in the right place at the right time and the capabilities of doing a job, and you know, I like think did it did it well. Um, so I'm just one of those people that just stepped into a role, was given a challenge, and, and rose to the occasion. I'd like to thank. So, but I was very fortunate to do Jason in part six and become part of this family. Wake up, Teddy. It's your turn. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was waiting for me to go into a monologue or no, something. No, no, like you, you never know when he's done. He keeps talking, you know. <laughs>
Go ahead, Jake. Go ahead. Well, the part of Jason, uh, I wasn't called to play Jason. I went down to read for the part of a policeman. And after reading for the policeman part, uh, they asked me to go out in the hall and sit and wait. And they'd talk it over. And they came back in a few minutes and said, well, you got the part. And I said, the part of the policeman? They said, no, the part of Jason. Huh. And I said, well, then Jason doesn't say anything. And he said, no, he doesn't say anything. <laughs> That's not funny. I haven't got to the funny part. <laughs> so I said, well, what, you know, what, what do I do? And they said, well, Ted, have you ever seen Friday the 13th? And I said, no, I haven't really seen it. But uh, let me read the script and uh, let me think about it. And I'll tell you tomorrow whether I'm going to take the job or not. And I was just that serious about it. So I went home and, and my youngest son, was, uh, he came in and he said, what's the script, Dad? And I said, it's Friday the 13th. And he said, oh, Jason? And I said, yeah. He said, what part for you? I said, well, listen, I'm going to read for a part of a policeman. And he said, Pop, he said, that's nothing. you got to read, you got to get Jason. you got to part the Jason's the biggest thing. And he said, all the kids, grown-ups, everybody go see it. He said, you've got to get the part of Jason. So I went back the next day, and I said, listen, I read the thing, and if it's still open, I'll take the part of Jason. And he said, yeah, it's still open. So the first day we shot, we were down in uh, Bronson Canyon, and it was about 1 o'clock in the morning, and it was the very first scene that I worked, and it was, they had the rain going, and you know they make the false rain, so we had the rain going, and the houses were about 60, oh, 60 feet apart, and in the first shot, the first scene we had to do, a girl was running from one house to the other, and I was supposed to chase her. So we're sitting there. Cameraman said, well, we're all ready to go. And they had me in costume and everything. And they said, got the girl ready. And they said, okay, action. And the girl took off running. And I just took off running behind her. And they said, cut. I said, what's wrong? He said, Jason doesn't run. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean he doesn't run? He's not crippled, is he? He said, no. <laughs> this is not supposed to be funny. You're laughing your ass off. <laughs> If he's going to run, if she's going to run, I've got to run to catch her. Otherwise, I'm not going to catch her. And he said, well, that's the whole point. You're not supposed to catch her. And I said, none of this makes sense to me. <laughs> well, actually, that's the story of Jason. None of it really makes sense. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is a joke, a complete joke. How many of you know Dick Warlock? Yeah. Well, Dick Warlock, a good friend of mine, he was a stunt coordinator for five. And he said he's going to bring in a couple guys. He said, hey, Tom, I'd like you to come in because I think you'll be good for the part. So I came in and I did the thing. And he talked to the director. He says, let's use him. And they says, okay, we're going to use you. And I says, okay. No. <laughs> really didn't know I was getting into. I talked to him. He says, you make sure that check clears, too. <laughs> this is one of these low budget. So I uh, went ahead and uh, did the show, and for years after that, uh, I was, you know, uh, I was a stunt uh, double for Roy. So Roy was really uh, not real Jason, and he'd go to conventions, and, and Dick Wien would usually sign, and it was several years or ten years or something before someone asked, well, who's this guy that's, you know, the stunt double Roy? And he said, well, that's 
you know, Tom Moyer's done that. He said, well, he'd wear the mask. He said, well, yeah, he's the one who wore the mask. So all of a sudden I was asked to come here, and then I found you folks. <laughs> so thank you very much. Kane, okay, it's your time. Um, well, I mean, you probably heard the story, but... Yeah, we by, did. By Any, yeah, anybody else? <laughs> if you only have a heart attack tonight, that would be so... Um, so, oh God, now what if it happens? Oh, fuck. I'm the angel of death if it happens, but... Uh, you know, by the time I was considered to play the character, it was now known all over the world. After CJ did it, it became far more of a, a well-known character. You know, Ted, Tom, CJ. And so by the time I was being considered, I knew how huge it could be to play that character. And I had been a horror fan my whole life, watching had four all the classics. tries at it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I, John Beagler wanted me to play the part because I had done a movie called Prison with him the previous year. And uh, he said to Paramount that he wanted me to play Jason. And I don't think they, that anyone was against CJ coming back. But what did work in my favor was that there was a lot of big stunts to do as Jason in this movie. And you know, being fully on fire and all kinds of big things that helped my case. And Beagler finally convinced them after filming a uh, screen test out of his own money with professional equipment and everything of me doing stuff, then I finally got the job and then, you know, for, for that first, I think it was 11 months or some after I did that movie, and I started realizing I could go to conventions and sign for free, by the way. <laughs> Not the case anymore, sorry. Um, but for the first less than a year, because fortunately I got Jason Takes Manhattan the following year. And, but for that first year, if I ever signed an autograph, I always put Kane Hodder, Jason number seven because I was one of seven guys to play the character. Once I started the movie in uh, uh, Jason Takes Manhattan, then I dropped the seven, but if you ever see that autograph, I think that's far more uh, collectible because they only did it for a short time. But anyway, after the, the first one, and then they seemed to want me to come back in Jason Takes Manhattan, and then Jason Goes to Hell and Jason X, then I felt like, you know, it was pretty, pretty well set and loved playing the character, unlike Steve, um, who would turn it down. What a brilliant move that was, huh? No, I don't want to play a character that's known all over the world again. So, uh, but... I fucked up, all right? <laughs> I fucked up. Watching, there's one Jason out in the middle of the crowd that's just staring at us. He hasn't moved at all. Can you just raise your yes. hand, sir? That was good. He can't. He's in character. There you go. Nice. Well done. You guys, tell me, you know,
know, I'm very curious you guys talk about how these films, you guys got to remember, these were low-budget films back in the day. They were studio low-budget films. Can you, except for, you know, Freddy vs. Jason, some of the more new love, Jason X was a little bit more studio, you know, a little bit more money thrown at it. Take us on the set of these movies, you know? What is the vibe? I mean, I, I, you know, in some of the older films that I read about, I'm reading the Making a Cujo right now, and it is insane what they did on that set. That was a low-budget film, too, for, but... I'm curious for you guys, you know, uh, was it was there a sense of control on these sets, or was there was were things played really loose and, and you know, did things go a little nutty sometimes? I'm curious. Uh, start of this end again. Um, well, well, for you, for you, I mean, for Freddy versus Jason, I mean, like that film, I'm sure it was a little bit more under lock and key because of the studio. Yeah, no, yeah. They, knew, they knew it was going to be a big deal. Yeah. And, um, uh, Ronnie Yu, the director, was a, he was a Hong Kong director. Yeah. He'd never seen any of the uh, movies, apparently, and that uh, got his impression of what Jason should look like from a comic book that he said. You said a comic book? He was more an inspired comic book? A, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a comic book. I, I don't know which one. I think it was, you know, it was probably um, one that I saw in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he, and he was just, had a very clear vision of how he wanted to do the movie. And, and uh, how he wanted the character to be and stuff like that. But uh, it, it was very, it was probably a little bit different than the other ones. Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious, guys. If, like Paramount, if you felt the studio presence coming down as the films were going on. Oh, yeah. No, it was, there was a lot of eyes on that one. Yeah. I think in, in part six, you know, I mean, it's not your fucking toes. <laughs> <laughs> in part six, we weren't going in order. <clears throat> Apologize, I didn't realize Steve had something to say. <laughs> he used all of his minutes, he's done. <laughs> first of all, it was the first really Friday that they did besides Betsy's film. Betsy's film, Betsy did that film because she needed to buy a car. And they paid her just enough money to buy the car. And the movie was a big success. Uh, Friday 13th, as you know, the original, which was a great film. I really think that that was probably one of the best ones. Mm -hmm. And, um... Yeah, go ahead. Right. Betsy was a wonderful woman. Um, she did a great job on the film. And, uh, at any rate, when they did two and there was an adult Jason, now it was a whole other ballgame. And they gave the film... Uh, Paramount gave the film to Frank Mancuso Jr. That was Frank Mancuso was the head of Paramount at the time. And Frank Mancuso Jr. was his son. And they gave him this as a project. $900,000 to shoot. That's shit money. <laughs> and believe me, we all suffered because we were in the... Uh, in the campsite, we stayed at the camp in uh, Kent, Connecticut at night. There was no heat in the camp at night. We, Cliff and I, I stayed with the stunt coordinator. We went out and bought heaters down in a, a, like a Kmart or whatever and brought it back to the camp with us. It didn't work, so we had to put cellophane up in the rooms to keep, you know, like to maintain the heat. That's how cheap they were when they filmed. I'm serious as a heart attack. And, and I tell you, it was a rub. I had a heart attack. <laughs> so you know I'm not lying. And you look like you're right behind me to have one. 
You look fucked up, I'm telling you. <laughs> Did you bring a note? You're late. <laughs> Did you go to the bathroom? I thought so. <laughs> Anyway, it was a very cheap film, and I did it, and I, I, I really had a good time doing it because of the stunt coordinator. I was a stunt guy, you know, and I had a good time because of Cliff, and we made the best of it, you know. There was other stunt guys on the film. We did a lot of shit. It was fun. You know, we didn't make any money on it. Um, the residuals today are great, two cents, eight cents, you know. But at any rate, it was a very low-budgeted film, and when they were doing part three, this is the truth, I was back in New York, I was starting a film called Alone in the Dark with Jack Plants and John Donald Pleasance. And uh, I played Dr. Barkin in that film as an actor. And uh, I also was on Guiding Light with Kevin Bacon. I played the football coach. And then they called my agent and they said, we want to do part three. And my agent called me and said, they'd like you to do part three. I said, I wouldn't do that piece of shit again. <laughs> Had I known then what I know now, I would have did it <laughs> for nothing. But I turned it down, and then that's how uh, Richard Brooker got the job, and Kane and CJ and all these other fucking guys. <laughs> <laughs> How did your, uh, this is a question for all of you, how did your respect, your director uh, get you into the mindset of Jason? Because you all brought something. I think Are you guys you all me? brought something very distinct. serious? I think so, for sure. No, no you a masterpiece of acting. It was a fucking guy chasing a girl in the woods. Guys, would you all say that they all bring a piece to the, their role? Sure. Everybody's got their own little I mean, nugget. I was sure. I was, I didn't run in the movie, I loafed. <laughs> if you look at the film, I loped. I didn't run. Because Amy still ran so freaking fast, I couldn't catch her anyway. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what Ted uh, is right. It was all about chasing a girl that you're never going to catch. And, uh, you know, that's what it was about, killing the kids and all. Matter of fact, that was one of the things they asked me when I lied. They, they said, they said, you think you could do this job? I said, yeah, I could kill kids. I got a lot of kids. <laughs> <laughs> Well, CJ, you, you, you I, I feel like Jason Lives ha, is totally much different than the other films. You know, Tommy did something that was a little bit more tongue-in-cheek. There was some more, you know, some nice little new, uh, nice little nods to other horror films. But for you, I mean, like, I'm just curious about how he approached the Jason character, you know? I mean, like, in terms of how he wanted him portrayed in this kind of totally different film. I think that uh, Tom McLaughlin was both the writer and director, and he had his own concept yeah. of what... He brought to the table. Um, my understanding, what he told me, that when he went to Frank Mancuso Jr., he wanted to do some different things out of the box. And my understanding is Frank Mancuso Jr. said, "As long as you don't make fun of Jason." So, you know, I think I was fortunate to step into a role dead center of the series and be able to, you know, build upon the first four before me, five before me, and then go forward where Kane and Ken picked up and have taken it to where Derek Mears is as of today. Um, you know, the budget question, we ours was two million, which is not a lot of money. And again, these men have more experience on that side of the uh, business. But I will say, you know, the cast did such a great job in part six that when we got back to LA, there was money left in the bucket. 
that we went back and did a couple more kills. And some of that's contributed to the actors and actresses that were out there working. Um, a lot of the stunts were first one takes. We didn't have to set up and retake, spend more money. So yeah, we anybody, anybody could use more money, but at the end of the day, I think we were fortunate in you know, being in the middle because you know, it was more of a, a different series. I mean, I'm very blessed. Alice Cooper gets to do the music. That's cool. Uh, you know, I, I get to wear a, a, I get to wear a utility belt like Batman. I mean, how cool is that? You got a James Bond scene opening it up, and you get to come back like Frankenstein from the '60s with electricity. So I, I really got in a good place with it. I was very fortunate, you know, and. Again, I, you know, I'm just happy to be here and thankful for what the fans have brought to it and a lot of these actors up here on the stage to keep it going for so many years. Nice. Ted, I'm, I'm curious, uh, for your film, were there any particular challenges or set pieces that you thought were going to be challenging on the day, um, but what I'm seeing and saw that pull, they pulled it off? I, I think you guys got to realize, when you do a slasher movie, it, it takes a lot, especially st stunt-driven, it's coverage-driven. There's a lot on the director to accomplish these really great kill sequences, especially when you have practical effects. So for you, Ted, I mean, were there any kills or any major set pieces that you, you found challenging? Well, uh, when I got the part of Jason, uh, nobody told me exactly what they wanted. Mancusco Jr. was the executive producer, and uh, I knew him from golf, and we talked briefly about the show and the budget and so forth, and the stunt work, of course. Uh, but as far as Jason, what he was supposed to do, I had no idea. And after reading the script, all it said was Jason kills this person, Jason kills that person. I mean, there's nothing exciting about it. Uh, and so the first day we shot, we were shooting. Uh, we started out at 3 o'clock in the morning putting makeup on me. At that time, the makeup was different pieces of rubber glued to my face. And it took so long to get it all in. Uh, that after three days they decided they're spending more money on makeup than they were on the picture and that had to be stopped so they made a complete mask that went over my head and then glued down around my uh, throat and that was the way we started off. Tom Savini, and I hope he's here. Uh, you, would, you, would, you wouldn't be doing all that if you really knew him. What a skunk. Well, <laughs> uh, he is. He's the worst. Anyway. Uh, he, uh, he's putting the makeup on me and he says, now Ted, you have to be very careful about the guy you're going to kill in the shower. He said, that face that you're shoving into the shower is not his face, it's a face that I made. And there's only one face, so we got to do it very carefully and not hurt it. And I said, alright, I'll handle it just like that. And he said, now it's not some great stunt, you're not doing any high falls or anything, just calm down and just do it very gently because we cannot crush the face, and that's fine. So we got ready to shoot the scene, and the director said, Zito was his name, I believe. He says, how's this gonna work? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, they, they got a phony head. I said, we'll start off with the real guy, and uh, you'll see me start pushing him back, and I think there's gonna be a cut there, and then you're gonna cut to a close-up of the guy's, the real guy's eyes, and so forth, and the fright, and then we're gonna cut to the phony head, and which I'm supposed to smash, but now I'm told that I can't smash it. And the director said, what do you mean you're told you can't smash it? He said, well, it's the only head he's got. <laughs> he said, you mean we can't afford two heads? And I said, now you're getting in the very technical part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So anyway, we got ready to shot, and we shot the whole thing with the real guy, and then we got to the phony head, and Tom came in the bathroom, and uh, he's showing us what he had hooked up. He had well, hoses run up to the head down below, and he had all the blood plaques. He'd squeeze, he'd squeeze a tube, and the blood would come out the nose, and blood would come out the mouth, and blood would come out the ears. And the director says, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to see. He said, when are you going to get it? Just as soon as Ted gets ready to shove the head against the wall, that's what's going to happen. So, so bring the real guy in, let's get some close-ups. They brought him in, they took the close-ups. Now he said, we're all done, get the phony head, line it up. So Tom lined the head up, and uh, same height as the guy was, and he put all the tubes up to the head, inside and everything, and had him down below. And the director said, let me see the blood come out a little bit. So he squeezed his little balls and the blood came out and came out and come out the ears and the eyes. He said, that's fantastic. He said, the only thing left is Ted to crush the head against the back of the wall. He said, yeah, that's it. So he, said, he turned around to me and he said, Ted, you think you can handle this without tearing the head up? Because we may want to take two or three takes. And I said, well, wait a minute. Let's get it all straightened out. Isn't this the head we're supposed to crush against the wall? And he said, yeah. I said, well, how am I supposed to go two or three takes and not crush the head? Well, just look like you're crushing it. And I said, how do I do that? He said, you mean as a stuntman, you've been a stuntman all these years, you don't know how to fake it? And I said, yeah, I think I got it figured out. He said, what's that? And I said, give me an old cantaloupe and put some mirrors on it. And I said, I'll crush it against the wall. He said, no, 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 we don't want that. We'd see, we'd see that. I said, well, then let's just go ahead and start shooting and see what we do. And he said, fine. So. They brought the guy in, the real guy, and I started with him. Then we got the head, the guy from the waist up. And Savini's down below him, and he's got all the tubes, and he's got probably a gallon of blood down there to work with. The director said, all right, here we go. Action. And the head goes back against the wall. My hand come up, and I'm starting to push, and I hear Tom saying, easy, easy. I said, yeah, Tom, this is easy. I crushed that head against the wall, and I thought Savini was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> he said, I told you that's the only head we've got. And I said, yeah, well, I've only got one head, too, and I, that head told me to do it. <laughs> um, but anyway, that, that was part of the job I had. Is, uh, Jason on Friday the 13th, the first one that I ever did, and the only one I did. Uh, and I had I had had I have known, I had an opportunity, and I was asked to do five and six, but I was working on other shows and couldn't take it. But if I look back now, and I wish that I had have taken it, because I want to know if I had been, I would have been Kane Hodder Jr. <laughs> I would have, you know, to do five and six, I'd have had three of them behind my belt. And look at all the conventions I could be going to, and tell all the stories I could be telling like this. Uh, look at him. He's so rich, he doesn't even have to come to these things anymore. <laughs> so that's the whole story, my Jason. Well, we're glad you're here, Tom. Tom, can you talk about working with uh, Danny Steinman, who, Dan Steinman, the director? Can you talk about just working with him? Well, unfortunately, I'm not that good storyteller as the rest of the guys, and I don't have any real exciting stories to tell. The, the, the whole thing was, uh, you know, if this this was shot, shot like 
what you think a low budget movie might be, and there's uh, not a lot of control. But by the time I was doing my uh, my film, uh, Dick Warlock was the stunt coordinator, and he's experienced. And he knows all about uh, what we were doing, and we coordinated about the kind of stunts that we're going to do. It was a chainsaw fight or a fall or getting hit by a tractor. Uh, we worked it all out. It just went pretty smoothly for everything we did, and I didn't. I don't have any great real stories of, of, of screw-ups or things because uh, we seemed to do uh, everything in order. We did have, naturally, uh, some challenges that we worked through and uh, got done, but uh, uh, for the most part, it all went pretty well as planned, um, and Dick was very professional most of the time. <laughs> but there was one occasion when I was doing a when I was wearing uh, the, the real Jason mask, it was like the flashback. I was standing under the Watch seat. it. <laughs> and Tommy's the real shit. Watch it. <laughs> Tommy's looking down from the from the bedroom window, and you see Jason standing under the tree. So all I had to do was to stand there with a mask on, just look up. That sounds pretty easy. Well, underneath the window is the kitchen door. And Warlock, my coordinator, is there making sure everything's going right. So he opens the door of the kitchen, which can't be seen by a camera because the camera's up here looking down, and he moons me. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to get me to laugh and start chuckling and move and wreck the shot just because he was talking. But I managed to hold still. But that's the only real exciting part I can think of. <laughs> Not that great a story, but. Uh, that was me and Dick. Nice, nice. Did you wind up? Uh, did you wind up working with Dick after? Did you wind up working with Dick Warlock after? Oh yeah, I've known Dick for a long time. Yeah. Nice, nice. Kane, um, out of the films that you've done, which one is the closest one to your heart? Your personal favorite? Um, part seven. Part yeah. two. Yeah. Part What's two. What are you laughing at? Part two. Or two is your favorite. Tell the truth. <laughs> Don't fuck around. Tell the truth. Sackhead, yeah. Um, I, I loved playing the character in all of the ones I did, but part seven, because it was the first one, and uh, as a stunt person, I had to do so many big stunts in the movie because typically n not that much happens to Jason, but the storyline was such that uh, she made things happen to Jason. So, um, it was a lot of fun. I, I was very serious about the performance in that one. It wasn't until Jason Takes Manhattan that uh, I felt more comfortable because now I was doing it again and then I could relax a little bit and the, the directors, each time I did one, they let me have more uh, control of the, what I thought the character should do and things like that. Like part eight, there was a scene written, you've probably heard this story, but where Jason comes out of the water on the docks and a dog confronts him and Jason kicks the dog. And I was like, nah. I mean, that is not something Jason would do is what I told him. I said, you know, first of all, it's a shitty thing to do to an animal, but that's not the reason I was so much, I just didn't think it was a, a Jason thing. So I refused to do that. And then I started, having fun on the set, like, uh, let's see, what character, there was one character, I can't remember, where I grabbed really close, 
and we were face to face briefly. And I said, I just shit my pants. <laughs> because you can't see me saying anything. I was just trying to make that actor crack up, but they held it together, so. Just, just like when I was on Arsenio Hall, um, they, he asked me all these questions and I was laughing my ass off, but you couldn't tell. You look, you look at the character and I was like motionless, like him and him. Yeah, uh, but it, you know, you can get away with a lot. Um, and the, the classic one that has just surfaced in the last couple of years, a photo of this. But um, at the beginning of Jason Takes Manhattan, we're on a small boat and I have a spear gun and I jam it through a guy and then I go after his girlfriend and she hides down in a hatch. And so the scene where it's her point of view, her POV, so the camera's down in the hatch looking up and I open the hatch and look down at her and she's like, uh-oh, I'm dead, you know, that type of thing. So when the camera was down there, I opened the hatch and I had worked with the uh, special effects people before, so as I opened the hatch, I had a really long penis <laughs> sticking out of my pants. And I could see the camera going laughing. He was laughing. I mean, I always took the character seriously, but man, when you wear that makeup for as much as three months, that Jason X, we shot for three months. It wasn't until I think Jason X and Freddy vs. Jason where they had decent budgets, right? I just have to ask you one question. Uh oh. I've never heard of you shitting your pants. <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't, but. <laughs> Well, Kane, you're an you, you're, uh, integral part of Friday the 13th, the video game. How many of you guys are playing that on there? What I'm not seeing on social media or out there is you playing the video game. Is there a video out there of you playing the video game yourself? Um, I don't think there I'd is I'd love to yet. know how Kane Because I suck at the game so far. <laughs> we did the motion capture. First of all, I was honored that the game makers thought that I should do the motion capture for Jason because you can play as different versions of Jason in the game. Ones that I did not do in the films. Like you can play part two. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you can play, can you play as Roy too? Even? Yeah, you can yeah. play as Roy now, yeah. yeah. So in m the motion capture, I had to kind of, out of respect to the other guys that played the character, Ted, Tom, everybody, I had to kind of keep in mind their performance, not just what I thought Jason should do. So I had to run as Jason, because when you play as part three, Jason, he runs. So it was a weird thing, because I always fought against running. All four movies that I did, I never ran. So, but, you know, out of respect to the other guys' performances, I tried to maybe incorporate a little bit of what they did in the, the motion capture, so hopefully it comes out. That is shitty job, too. <laughs> <laughs> that they know was it's you. Shocking. When you got the bag on your head, they know it's you. They know They know it's not me. He's got this body that goes, uh, uh, uh. they know it ain't me. They know that. <laughs> because Jason isn't five foot six. <laughs> <laughs>
you got a point. He's got a point. <laughs> we'll open this up to uh, audience in a second, but I just want to. You guys have very long stunt careers outside of Friday the Thirteenth, so I just want to. I, I want to go down a line. I'm going to name one film that you've been part of, and I just love a little anecdote. Cool. Cool. All right, King. Seven. A fun film we may have done is stunt people that uh, might have a story from. Yeah. I mean, a few of them come to mind. I was very happy that I stunt coordinated a movie called Monster with Charlize Theron. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was just telling this story yesterday, but I'll make it quick. I played the cop that arrested Charlize at the end of the movie, and she was very method in her portrayal. And I appreciated an actor's, you know, being that invested in the character. So she said, uh, uh, I had to handcuff her outside the bar and then put her in the back of the squad car. And she goes to me, she says, uh, okay, when you put me in the back of the car, just throw me in face first. And I thought, oh, okay. Um, can I just tell you one thing? Uh, just please. I don't want to hear anything else about it. Just throw me in head first face first with my hands behind my back. What I was trying to uh, tell her, and those of us that have been in the back of a police car, <laughs> I know some of you have, <laughs> uh, will probably realize that very often in the back seat of a police car, it's a hard plastic shell. It's not a cushy seat. So, because of blood, it comes off easier and stuff like that. Less places to stash things, so it's a hard plastic one-piece shell. That's all I was trying to tell her, but she wouldn't let me, so I said, Okay, motherfucker, you're... <laughs> you want it, you got it. And I threw her in that car, face first, heard her clank around in there, her head hitting the, the, the seat, and then they cut, and she comes out and says, Oh. Okay, I see what you were trying to tell me, but... <laughs> Tom, uh, Tom, you worked in, you, you did some stunt work in the first three Star Trek films. Any, any fun well, I, memories I, from that? I, I don't have any great stories, but I did 20 years of Star Trek, so I did a lot of aliens and creatures. Yeah. You got a question? Good. Oh, he's... Oh, uh, <laughs> I need some help. I, I'll tell you, there's a real good story. Here's the man who can tell it. Well, if you want to tell the, the good ones or the bad ones, I got a little bit of both. Uh, I guess the first scene I had to do in the, in the movie, that's what we're talking about, yeah. All right. uh, was uh, uh, they wanted this guy, a big guy, to be in bed with this lovely lady. And uh, her husband was in the Navy and was coming home. And when he opens the door, uh, the guy jumps out of the bed and runs and dives through a window. And that's why a stuntman was in there. So they said, Ted, you're going to be in this bed and uh, you're going to have a pair of boxer shorts on, very loose around your legs. And this girl's going to come in and get in bed with you. And it's a nice looking blonde girl, about 19 or 20. And uh, you've already got the picture all over your face. <laughs> and you with a bunch of dirty minded people. Anyway, said, uh, then uh, her husband comes in and you jump up and run and dive out the window. And I said, okay, that sounds like an easy one to do. And so I get in bed and they cover me up and uh, I just put a sheet over me and uh, they start to sing. And here comes this blonde. And I mean, this was a knockout little lady. She, this was 
like 46, 23, four, uh, just knocked out blonde, built. And she looked over at me, Lynn went in bed, and she said, are you ready to do this kind of a show? And I said, I guess so, I'm here. She said, all right, so she gets in bed, and now she starts getting a little risky. While they're going the camera, changing the camera over to another position, she starts messing with me. And I'm saying, come on, lady, don't do that. <laughs> now, you, there's nothing you can do. Everybody knows the camera's right there in that room with you. But she continued on messing with me and messing with me. And finally, they got the camera set, and the switch blown down off my face. And they said, all right, here's the scene now. And the husband comes in, and she runs. Now, Ted, you jump up and run out the window as soon as we holler. I said, okay. She said, all right, they roll the camera. And they rolled it. And I'm laying in bed, the sweat's laying off my face. And I said, the husband's coming in the door. The husband's coming in the door. And I never moved. I said, Ted, the husband's coming in the door. And I said, yeah, and Ted can't get out of the bed. <laughs> I tell you, motion picture business has got its ups and downs, but those days are the most days. CJ, uh, you were Hell Cop in Highway to Hell. Any 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 fun uh, fun memories from that production? I mean, the the, the Hell Cop never made a, a national distribution. Hemdale that, that, that produced it bankruptcy uh, when they were getting ready for distribution, but he gave me an opportunity to work with Christy Swanson from Buffy and the Vampire. Um, Chad Lowe, Rob Lowe's younger brother. You guys may remember Patrick Burgeon's like oh, yeah. enemy opposite of Julia Roberts. He was the devil. Uh, and then Lita Ford. Yeah. For those of you that remember the 80s and there were some rock and roll young ladies, yeah. um, she was a very strong, stout woman that you know was well put together. Um, the Highway to Hell crew had a good time with her because they kept wanting to retake, retake, retake. Um, I don't know if it was intentional or, I know it was intentional, but everybody tried to put on a good face about it. Um, but I had a good time doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's too bad I didn't get a distribution for those of you who've seen it now that it's out on Blu-ray. It sat on the shelves for roughly 25 years until uh, United Artists MGM bought it and then they threw it out there. But it, it has some character to it. Yeah. I thought the makeup was really good yeah. on, yeah. Your, on your character. One too. of those people that just had really cool opportunities that just did not make the distribution. Yeah. Um, but you know, we all do those things on the set where we have a good time. And you know, um, I think at the end of the day, as long as we get the job done, <laughs> I'm looking at it when I say Without that. Without an erection. <laughs> get the job done, we'll move on. Now, Steve, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you work? You worked on Ghostbusters. You were part of the stunt team on Ghostbusters. Yes, I worked on Ghostbusters. I, I, uh, <laughs> what do you, mom? Clap, you bastard! <laughs> oh, him? He's not clapping. He's just sitting there with his dick in his hand. <laughs> Yeah, it was in Ghostbusters. I stunt double the environmental protection guy, and we did a car crash scene, and then I was what they call a utility stunt guy. I was on the show for uh, about three weeks, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It was a good show. Yeah. I, I did probably, in my time, I probably did about 40 films, and about 35 of those films I was a, a stunt, utility stunt guy, or a stunt guy, or as, as Kane would say, a wannabe stunt guy. Uh, <laughs> Because Kane never considered me a stuntman, you know that. He always said I was a wannabe stuntman. 
but then what the hell does he know? You know what I mean? <laughs> he got fucking burned. I did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's all you want to know? That's good. I'm, I'm done. done. All right, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> Ken, uh, Bad Moon. Any fond uh, memories from Bad Moon? No. Um, no? <laughs> That was like the worst costume I had ever had to wear. But, you, uh, he was the werewolf, you guys didn't yeah, know. No. Yeah, so Mike Bray turns into the werewolf. I, I put on this werewolf suit, and it was, uh, they built this suit super tight because I had to fight these dogs. And if you look out a hole about this big, I an 85 pound suit on for 30 some odd days or whatever. But I remember, because uh, I was also the stunt coordinator on the show, and I was uh, prepping the show with the director. and. And uh, we've got this fight scene at the end, and, and uh, he, he's got it all storyboarded. He, he's got this scene of this kid, and the kid kicks the werewolf in the nuts. And I, and I, saw, I got to that storyboard, and I, I laughed. I said, you really could have him do that? And he goes, yeah, 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 no, we'll be good, we'll be good. You know? And uh, all right, all right. So we, it's like the last thing. We shoot the whole movie, and we get to that. and. Uh, they go to set up the shot, and, and the first AD yells out, all right, time to kick the werewolf in the nuts, and the whole crew just cracks up. And, and the director goes, all right, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, i got to get these guys back. Uh, thank you so much, gentlemen, for coming on stage. Wait, 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 wait. I want to thank the fans, because we wouldn't be up here if it wasn't for you. I wanted to come to Texas because of you, and I thank you very much for it. Thank you.